Hello and welcome to Too Rash, Too Unadvised, Definitely Something, Perhaps the Stars. My name is Liam Nolan. My name's Wero Karyuki. And I'm Johnny. And today we're talking about chapter 18. <clears throat> if you'd like to ask your question or company on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at TooRashTooAdvised.com. That's Tuesday number two on my checking list, no spoilers, please. Also, support us more importantly on on Patreon. With that out of the way, and many thanks to our Lord and our Savior. Our Lords and our Saviors, the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry's Junior Scientist Squad. Eternal tyrants. Well, of course, kill. Let's get on with the show. Remembering the format correctly, I get a moment to say whatever I want to at the top. Uh, what are so you going to say? I was sorry. I g- was distracted. Um, first, uh, mm. no, you know what? I can make all these notes later. I don't have any any backup. We're back from the break. Uh, yeah, but please do consider now and for the rest of this episode mm. whether or not what you say is appropriate to say to us. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're worried about that. But that's not related to what I'm saying. I was just going to say that uh, the last several times I've been on the podcast, I realized I forgot to plug my own podcast. And also you (laughs) didn't put it in the show notes or anything. So on the off chance that someone started on the Perhaps the Stars stuff, which could possibly happen, uh, they, they won't know who I am or the fact that I have a podcast. So if you, dear listener, like podcasts about sci-fi short stories or ian m banks's culture novels or the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy you can find all that on a podcast feed called uh cultured swine it used to be uncultured swine but then we read all the culture novels so now it's cultured swine um we have a discord server we have a podcast feed you can come talk to us uh there should be a link in the description for one of those things uh, find us on all major platforms. You know, it is probably actively the right choice to ignore this podcast until book three. Maybe book two, at least. I think um, book two. So, like, if someone jumped in for just perhaps the stars, I, I believe they would be doing the right thing in terms of their personal experience as a listener. However... This podcast must be absolutely indecipherable for someone who has just jumped in for perhaps the stars. Well, see, but I think as long as they've read the books, they're probably fine. You don't make that much reference to, like, internal continuity or in-jokes or whatever. Um, I mean, obviously, if they hadn't read the books and the series, total fucking mystery what's going on. I agree we don't make much reference to in-jokes, but the uh, ones we do are like, like, what is Skin Dog? What do people think Skin Dog is? But you started well, Skin Dog that is in just a dog with human stars. skin. That makes perfect sense. What I think <laughs> would be confusing them is our two hundred deeply entrenched opinions that we <laughs> barely address anymore. <laughs> and it just comes up and like, um, I guess like, oh, of course you hate loyalty. Um, 
Uh, oh, oh, of course. So, uh, speaking of deeply entrenched opinions, Mr. Loves the Masons and supports everything they do, even if it's really bad, how do you mm-hmm. feel about the start of this chapter where uh, Cornell Mason just lists all the times he broke his oath and committed terrible crimes? Uh, do you think that's what happened? That's how I would characterize it. I don't think most of the things he actually said matter. I'm I'm actually totally fine with all of the crimes he lists. Um, Didn't he literally say, though, I have broken my oath of office X many times? Yes. Yeah, that's bad. But the, the stuff he actually says he did, totally fine. Uh, here, I've got the page. Uh, doctoring Mycroft Canner's history to conceal how much I helped Joyce Faust Darway rise to power. Cool, okay. Um, four times had associates of Ando or other directors detained and interrogated. Sure, yeah, why not? Uh, sovereign action. Violating Mitsubishi <laughs> law, who cares? Uh, persuaded you to help launch Achilles Mojave into space. Right move, Achilles needed to be there. Let's see, what else did he have? Twelve of Casimir Perry's co-conspirators murdered. Good call! He should have. <laughs> Casimir Perry sucks. Including uh, the ones who had uh, Crown Prince Leonor killed, if I remember. Like, yes. none of the things he confesses to here even almost bother me, except for when he says that he broke his oath of office, which because... I presume the next emperor will punish him for appropriately. <laughs> the crucial thing to understand is that Liam thinks that emperors are above any law, and all law, Except for the no. oath they bind themselves to. Now he has not specifically just emperors. Said... No, go on. Like the specifically the emperor of the Masons. Why couldn't another emperor also claim to be that? Other emperors might be bound by laws. I haven't read their book. You know, maybe it's. I I believe you. Okay. Um. That's not the most important thing that happens in this chapter. Although I do like a good chance to hit on the Masons. Yeah. Um, there's one thing that happens in this chapter is that I, I talked earlier about the uh, Gordians winning the propaganda war mm-hmm. with like against Jed, and mm-hmm. it turns out like the the Gordians, um, in a very crucial sense, are better than Utopians on any number of axes. <laughs> <laughs> they had the same amount of time to prepare for war, and they actually prepared for war instead of like. Making a last-minute plan and ditching it. <laughs> so, hey. I think you're wrong. Um, and and first of all, I wouldn't believe a word of this Brillist stuff if it wasn't coming from Jehovah. But I guess <laughs> it's canon. Um, <laughs> he seems to think that the Brillists did everything. <laughs> no. Jehovah says the Brillists did six things, and then... I believe uh, it's 9A nope. who six starts speculating about more yeah, things. Six Baskervilles. And then 9A says, oh, I guess the uh, Gordians have created the entire war. I think they really have done all the things that 9A accuses them of doing. But I think they did some of the things. 9A accuses them of, for example, spreading free speech absolutism over the Pass It On network. Very funny. Um, Very clearly a ploy to it. Not even, like, a thing to annoy 9A, but a, a thing to, like, try to get Jed on their side. <laughs> and that was fine. What what I think is interesting about this, though, is what it says about the Utopians. Um, mm-hmm. Because it 
you you have to totally reconsider. It turns out all of the anti-utopian propaganda wasn't coming from them, and instead they're just bad at stuff, which is new for utopia, right? It's very fun to see them presented as the failures in this way. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a point where, like, Jed just straight up says, my uncle misdoubts who I will choose in the, at the end of this. Hmm. Yeah. Because Jed has, like, I... personal reasons to pick Utopia, right? Because he, like, he talks about, like, oh, yeah, Huxley and Mycroft and all those people, they care a lot about the Utopian vision. Um, and so I don't want them to suffer if I, like, snuff out that hope from the world. <laughs> And this is why, as I said before, we should let Jehovah do stuff, but maybe kill him. We're all, this is that. This is it. Here it happened. Um, we can't let him pick that. So it's a good thing he's in prison somewhere, and not just siding with Brill. But Utopia, uh, what are they doing? Well, they Fucking clearly Latin. spent a lot of their time building Skymaw. They claimed to have an elaborate war plan, authored by Apollo, potentially a deity. Uh, what, what's happening Apollo. to it, right? <laughs> Apparently they've just failed on every axis every time, and I was willing to be on board with that when I was fully convinced this must be Utopia's plan, but it is not. It just so, turns out they're like failures. Like, like um, the, the Utopians at the beginning of the war were non-entities, and now there's actively genocidal hate being sown against them. Well, apparently led by, like, magic-brain-people propaganda, though, right? So, like... But, like, we've read the propaganda. The propaganda is astoundingly large amount of the time. Restatements of true facts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what makes for good propaganda. If you didn't do that... It wouldn't spread through the free speech poison you've put into society. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, I I did actually want to ask, what do you think the Gordians actually did? What do you think they didn't do but are now being accused of? I think they they did everything Jehovah says they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The rest Uh, of it, less convinced. mm. So the six Baskerville things... Okay, not the six, because the first one is like. <laughs> yeah, Enkidu was not a Brillist. <laughs> Do you know? Have you. When was the last time you read the Epic of Gilgamesh? Yes, because Brill the man wouldn't live for some time. And uh, so what we're, if we're good on that. time hey, travel. Speaking of, what was the deal with Cookiebot? How did they make Cookiebot look like a U Beast? They just uh, stole do they the just tech. have utopians? I That's bet they just stole the tech. I mean, if there's anybody who you would expect to be able to subvert some people to their side, it's the mind control wizards. So, like, it wouldn't be that weird for them to have some former utopians on their staff, I guess. But, I, like, separately? I think it would be pretty weird, actually, because it's <laughs> utopia. Yeah. Well, as we've learned in this chapter, Utopia is not as perfect as we've been led to believe. I think, like, one of, like, a couple things happened. First is that Utopia, the UB's experts, 
we that we know of all claim, claim to be utopia but utopia might like just publish papers about you beasts hmm. and the Golden student might have been just like reading the papers and plus like, like yeah. people don't know how you beasts works so maybe maybe it was all like you know that's not actually what a you beast would look like with the like internal nerve structure electronic thing but only utopia yes were it is able though. to notice that We've like, had you beasts torn apart, and everyone looked at it and went, "Oh, that's what a you beast looks like with the internal nerve structure stuff." Hmm. Okay. Uh or like they've been doing this for twenty years, and they've clearly had a leg up on Utopia the entire time. Maybe they just like put an asset in the Utopians. Hmm. They have never refused an applicant. Right? They have assets in the cousins. Brill, those motherfuckers will refuse applicants. You can only join them if you know German. (laughs) I'm also, I admit, a tiny bit skeptical that Brill need assets in the cousins to do what they do. I think it's simpler and fully plausible that Brill just allowed the cousins to actually attempt a genocide on Utopia. Ah, CIA style. But, like, remember what or they... FBI. Remember, like, the specific thing they, they said? Like, they said, for sure they'd maybe launch back on the moon, because what's crucial to your argument, there was a genocide. Um, but ah, the yes. thing for that anyone the- who hasn't heard the, uh, the trial, uh, which is, is great, we should talk about that, the fact that your first idea of the trial was, like, Oh yeah, the UN should try them. And then at the start of this chapter, the UN's like, fuck you, the UN is gonna try them. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We jumped right over that. I, when I read this chapter, I immediately called and said, you definitely didn't read ahead, right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I just, I I, I thought it was, let cl- me explain the reasoning behind the trial idea. So like, my first thought was like, obviously the cousins have committed violated the first and second laws like very obviously it's mm-hmm. a slam dunk case mm-hmm. um but n- this is not it's not clear that they committed it's not clear the bounds of the crime that they have committed is, are and my second thought was what is our most important crime the crime that we hate the most um it's genocide mm-hmm. what genocide is the boogeyman of the of the is the arch war crime of the modern day. Um, and... Okay. Yeah. And I wanted to think about whether the cousins had committed that. Because I, I, I do think, despite the, the trial, that the Utopians are plausibly an ethnic group. Uh, I don't think they're a fucking national group, but they're possibly an ethnic group. Yeah, like I kept saying that whole trial, they meet, like, all the specifications. They do. It's very funny. The cousins don't. A lot of other hives don't, but specifically Utopia probably does. Uh, so I wanted to just talk about whether they had the cousins had tried to commit genocide, and then I thought, well, the the hives don't care about genocide. Their arch crime is not genocide. It's a, the violation of the first and second laws. Uh, so who would care about genocide? Well, the ICC would. And the ICC probably still exists because the UN still exists. So mm-hmm. I guess the UN has to try the cousins for genocide. That was my theory. Yeah. 
Uh, and who so, fucking? <laughs> you were close. Let, let's take it back. We we jumped way deep into this episode, and we probably should. We opened this chapter with a discussion of how America was cool once, but then fell apart. Um, mm-hmm. That will you interpret that, that is that is part of what he says it's also a metaphor Utopia for like a moon baby was it's implied that america was born was a miracle that it like continued functioning at all that, um, basically, and not like it was cool in, like a medical sense but not necessarily in a healthy sense and then it started to america die was like a premature birth that everyone is shocked that it survived for any amount of time yeah and then they get yeah, yeah. like hopeful and then it died it did, yes. But, like, they describe it growing into its strength, uh, which it did. There are many critiques of America you can genuinely give that it was too weak as a nation in <laughs> politics. That's a tough one. I mean, for a while there, right? Policy of isolationism, you could make an argument, but... Uh... The U.S., when it did that, also claimed the entire Western Hemisphere as its... Proper home and proper yeah, but only like, the around. Western Hemisphere. Right? Only so half like... the worlds. <laughs> it was really a fraction of a Mason, if you think about it. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, real real Masonic style, taking half the world and declaring victory. <laughs> True Alexander. So, uh, that's how you. That's how you get neither Earth nor Adam. <laughs> True Alexander. There are two really. things I want to talk about. In, in that early section. Mm-hmm. One is, a list is given. Um, the sentence goes, even in her later years, as one by one her organs failed her, judiciary, liver, senate, heart. Um, what do you think the liver of the U.S. government is? Okay, but again, in, in, in making that sentence fine, but it is being uh, analogized to the baby who grew up on the moon. Like, that is important in the context of that metaphor, because the baby has the heart and liver, and the- Johnny, the... I can't believe I need to say this to two people at once, but go read your Leviathan. It's directly talking about America. <laughs> it's talking about both, and it's important in the context of the metaphor that the listeners know that it's talking about both. No. Uh, states have organs. This is a true thing about states. So what do you think the liver was? <laughs> The executive branch? The liver like, is there to purify things. The liver is the criminal justice system. It's prisons. Judiciary it's... already get listed. No, but the, specifically, it's a thing that takes in things that are toxic to society, would be the metaphor. Uh, is that how livers work? Livers break down things. I think so. But yes. like all of your yellows. blood goes through the liver, not just... The toxic yeah. blood, because the, the liver, point the of liver it is purifies. To, to, yeah, to to have it's to things filter. That, yeah, yeah. It's one of several systems in the body that filter your blood. Yeah. So you're saying you think the liver is the prison system? I'm saying the liver is like more the law enforcement system, I guess. That uh, is the executive branch. That's the first thing I said. No, but like specifically, like cops, as opposed to the executive branch. The most cops in this country are not. Most cops in the U.S. are not, in fact, ruled over by the president. It's weird that that happened, though. What with enforcement of laws being the thing the president does. Is it that weird? 
who said a natural consequence of A, federalism, and B, rampant localism. Anyway, follow-up question. Which one do you think is the heart? Uh, patriotism. Wall Street. Oh, you think Wall Street fell? That That is think that's Wall- a bold claim. I think Wall Street fell. I think if we know anything about Wall Street, uh, it's that it continues on an upwards path continuously um, and does not typically have dramatic failure states. Mm-hmm. Well, t- hmm. I almost want to agree with you, but if I do, I think I'll get too into politics and we I won't be able to recover. Um it does sometimes have dramatic failure states. I agree the general path is upwards, but like what? Yes, it has dramatic failure states. It has them constantly all the time. And if it wasn't regulation, it'd have them even more. Oh. Hmm. This is interesting how we get into choice politics. of rhetoric for the local anarchist. Um Look. That is an interesting choice. Come to think of it, yes, that is odd for you specifically. It's simply true that before the federal, <laughs> before the um, the federal uh, reserve existed, we constantly had there was constantly crashes all the time. So many marks thought that the world was going to end because of a really big crash. Man, that's a, an anarchist in favor of the Federal Reserve. <laughs> Rare breed. I'm not saying that we should only have a state in order to have a federal reserve. I think it <laughs> is true that. Oh, so you're saying that we should have a like given autonomous a, commune of federal reserve is what you're saying? Not even that. I'm simply Maybe saying we could that have some sort of worldwide reserve that <laughs> controls all of the monetary systems and makes sure they're not doing anything we wouldn't approve of. I am simply noting that before the Federal Reserve, there were a lot of crashes. This is like, I'm pretty sure it's just a historical fact. I don't know what you're complaining about here. You know who was good at building things is those guys who make bricks and put them in walls. Maybe we get them to build this worldwide monetary system. Some kind of Because they're the experts in stuff that doesn't fall. It's important to historical facts that maybe even if they're inconvenient for my politics. Some kind of... I don't know, international Masonic fund of some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on the right track. I was skeptical when we started talking about this, but I think I've persuaded my way into it. Okay. Anyway, anyway, uh, another thing that happens uh, in this chapter is Mycroft avoided getting hobbled, so we have to increment the Masonic mercy counter. Finish off. Let's at least finish off the American metaphor. Okay, okay. Uh, it's nice that we get so much about Terra the Moon Baby, who I thought was going to remain an offhand reference in, like, chapter five of the first book. I actually want to talk about one other part of America, but I want to address first <laughs> that you may genuinely need to cut this second half, because it's not going to go good places. Um, okay. Okay. So, we get that... What America gave us was an understanding of what we have to not do. And I think some of those are obvious. Um, Like, we've seen 9A's attitudes toward, like, freedom of speech. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what is it that you think defines America 
in the eyes of the future. Uh, we know freedom of speech must be one of them. But what do you think those other key lessons were? Because I thought maybe look at the black laws. Um, I mean, given that it's called the church war, I would imagine that like religious conflict got a lot bigger and it was probably like Christianity on Islam. Apparently, we've already had that presented to us as text. Yeah, that is just text. Right, but I imagine if you're thinking, what did America do wrong? It's like, well, America tried to do the thing with the separation of church and state, but they didn't go far enough by banning all discussion of religion, and that was their mistake. Wait, we don't we, we haven't answered this question. Let me just go get fucking on the first book on me. Um, but in the first book, we get a speech from Thomas Carlyle, which they give every year on Renunciation Day, as a as a patriotic rah rah about the the political system. And it goes into what Thomas Carlyle thought was wrong with America. And Thomas Carlyle thought um, the um, that the fact that America taxed people who, just because they were citizens, was bad. And gave demands just based on citizenship and not based on, like, the choices of the people who it might claim to be citizens. Because, like, in the U.S., right, if you're born in the U.S., you're a citizen. Mm -hmm. And if you're a child of a citizen, you're a citizen. Uh, and apparently future U.S. use those facts and the fact that U.S. is the only, one of the only countries in the world to tax based on citizenship to try to, like, gain money for the church war and gain recruits for its draft for the church war. Kind of is nonsense that you get taxed as an American, even if you're fully not associating with America at the time. Hmm. I still pay American taxes, and I don't necessarily feel that they deserve it, frankly. Well, I'm not getting any you know, of those services. That's their tithe for uh, giving you such a, a wonderful public education. Well, I would like that to be presented, please. <laughs> When I first started school in America, um, I think it was middle school, and I was put in remedial reading and remedial everything else because yeah, I didn't I have standardized story. test scores. Uh, and I didn't love that. In fact, uh, a fun story about uh, American Florida schools. Um, when I went down... I was really deeply offended that I've been put in. I think I think science was the class this happened. I was super upset. I've been put in remedial science like I was some sort of moron. Um, and I said that to the teacher. Uh, and they told me to get over it. And then handed me like a 60-page workbook and said, here's your work for the day. Uh, start. And I didn't finish the workbook. Um, I got through like 50 pages of it in the hour that I had or 45 minutes that I had. And I I couldn't believe that this was what was happening <laughs> in American school. Like I I had gone in thinking I've got, like this is going to be a waste of my time for an entire year. And then I sat down and was given more work than I could finish and I felt terrible. Uh and then I found out the next class that that workbook I had been given was my work for the entire school year. Um, 
and not that class. And I have never felt so correct as I did when I learned that specific piece of information. Because I had, I had been humbled by what these remedial learning impaired American students were knocking out every day. I didn't think I was going to be able to keep up with them somehow. And then, <laughs> then the truth came out. <laughs> so my point is, I don't feel like they've earned my lifetime worth of taxes for no benefit. Yeah, I mean, arguably a problem. Um, anyway, uh, maybe that's why America... Oh, no, we have other story. things to talk about in that, in that yeah. thing. Um, Quit trying to jump ahead the... so fast. Do you not know what this show is like? <laughs> I yeah I'm I'm not trying to I just you know we average ten minutes a page Johnny mm-hmm. we do that for a reason okay hey we didn't do the thing where we're where who has a thing about the very first line of text on the page uh do you have a thing I did this time we yeah. just did it fair enough well uh, I'll get back into form next time uh so. <laughs> It's been a while. We're a little out of practice for talking about actual chapters of this book. Okay, second thing. Uh, Mason is thought of as a colleague by the not UN. Se- not second thing. And, uh, no, not second thing. Second thing. We have things to do before that. Um, I, such as? So the, the analogy is continued because Mycroft then panics the fa- about the fact that they... The high system is also new, also born in crisis. Maybe their government system is also, like, impossible to work, actually. It's not like Maybe it also function. has flaws. Maybe it also nah. has flaws. Maybe this is it not seems perfect- like it's going great. <laughs> this is not the uh, perfect government system that they all thought it was. And um, he, Yeah, and he makes reference to the failing organs of ours thing, such as the CFB, which didn't work at all. <laughs> Uh, and then I do look- like that the CFB is listed because it never worked. <laughs> well, like the no, key worked- thing about the CFB is that it was a lie. No, it worked great. It was a tool by which a bunch of people could be bossed around by the smartest man in the world. It was or a even, great system. It probably works fine when the cousins were not like a state like organization, like a polity, right? When the cousins needed to have opinions about foreign policy, that's when the CFB stopped working. That's true. But also when the though, cousins were just an HOA, I bet it was fine. <laughs> but not also, HOA. Though, they went HOA. Yeah, they were. That's how I think of them. They were a mutual aid, aid organization. organization. Yeah, yeah, um, that's but, what an HOA would bill themselves as. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The I, I do have to note. It is interesting that the CFB is taken as, like, the watchword of governmental failure in this series, when, like, how bad was it really? Clearly it was only some algorithm changes away from being a working thing, because all the Anonymous was doing was, like, fiddling with the numbers to make them average out more. The the, the crucial thing was that the CFB could not have an effective foreign policy, but you could just, like hack on a system to give it a foreign... Like, you could just, like, have it elect a foreign policy czar, and that's... You can do that. Um, I think and that seems it's fine. worth noting, and you're both dancing around this, the problem mm-hmm. with the CFB wasn't, strictly speaking, the notion of a CFB. It was that the cousins themselves were too erratic and flighty, and could not institute a stable government policy. 
No, it's implied that, like, this is a property of people in general. I, I think that's something that, like, Eloise would have you believe, because it fits into cousins being a, a stereotype of women. But I think it's kind of just an inevitable result of that system that if you just have it be based on ground dwellings and public support, then of course it's going to be short-sighted. Yeah, it's not, that's not what, I'll, I don't think Eloise would even do that. Think of that. I think it's simply the case that, like, the government system, by its nature, like, would work like this, and not it's something to do really with the, like, in, internal politeness of the cousins themselves. I think the utopians could make it work. I don't think so. Because it's basically how I think utopia runs anyway. Probably the Brillists could make it work. If the Brill- I don't think the Brillists could realistically implement this system. They'd be too tempted to do brain magic the whole time, and then like- But that's are you the even thing! Doing they, that? Would do, they would do brain magic, and that's why it would work. They would just be like, yes, yes, we have, you know, implemented our CFB, the BFB- but uh, rather than polling people, we just predict what they would vote and then do that. Fucking amazing. <laughs> um, but the important thing, I think, is that in this analogy, we get the, the final connection. So the, the, the hives are called the hive experiment, like the American experiment. You know who else is an experiment? Jehovah. So there's like big connection being drawn implicitly here. Oh yeah, I forgot you had a thing with like, Jed is America. That's the thing. Madame just says she's the, he's, he's the, she wanted to make an experiment like the American experiments. Yeah, yeah, but Simply it's the thing text. that you care about more than most people. Uh, so, so Jed... I can't believe you're so pro-America. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't think America is, uh, a borderline infallible god. We should America's made all kinds of mistakes. Remember the Civil War? Jehovah would never civil war himself. Wait a minute. <laughs> what a bad example to pick. <laughs> Jehovah spends his entire time at almost civil warring himself because he's like conflicted about something. Like, wait very... a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jehovah does support a war. Are you saying that the current remaker conflict is more just than the civil war? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, let me think my way through that sentence to make sure I don't accidentally pick the wrong side. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by just? <laughs> like, fought for a just cause. N on net? Yes. Obviously. <laughs> right? <laughs> really? Yeah. I think... What do you mean, really? <laughs> yeah, really. Yes. Do we do we know how this war is going to turn out? What do you expect is going to be the good result of this war that outweighs the the good results of the well, civil here, war? Well, here slow down, Johnny. Um here's the problem with your question. You're asking if I think on average this war <laughs> or the war where one side was fighting to keep slavery is fought for more just reasons. And I got to tell oh, you. Come on. I am the not The slavery talking. team brings down the average. <laughs> Why on earth would I be talking about the average goodness of the causes? I'm talking Because I about... said, on net, and you went, yeah. No, I meant on net the result of the war. Like, counting up all the goods and bads. You know uh... what this sounds like? This sounds like furious backpedaling after you realized what you've done. 
Bullshit. You're I the thought one a third to thing. Back. I thought you were talking about the nobility of your chosen side in the Civil War. So yeah, I that's thought, what I'm saying. It's like we're no, even independent of like winning, right? Maybe the Utopians will lose. Uh, but I thought he was comparing Utopians' cause to like the Union's cause and saying that the Utopians come out on top. Yeah, that's what I thought. I also that think he, that's true. Well, I mean, probably his chosen side is Mason, but rather than Utopia. But uh, I, have you no, not been it, reading this book? Uh, the Masons are to protect, nurture, something, follow the Utopians. So they're like implicit. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you would you would explicitly side with Mason if it came to Mason and Utopia being not on the same side. I imagine. Yeah, probably. Uh, again. There are conceivable things the Masons could do, I'm sure, that would make me no longer support the Masons and support Utopia instead. But I would like to finish my. I don't expect them to happen. Fine. What's great is that like fully half of our examples in this analogy died. Terror the Moon Baby is is dead. America is dead. Um, the high system might die. Actually, I think it's becoming more and more clear. Especially this chapter where, like, the Masons have, like, stopped, have almost stopped thinking of themselves as a hive. Mason has, at least. Well, you know, that's how history works. Things die. I think it is unclear how much the Masons... There have been hints in the text, and I use hints pretty loosely because I think they've been pretty clear, that Mason always thought of themselves as not really, like, they're not a hive first. Perhaps a hive like, because they've chosen to associate, but I don't think like there's a shift in ideology. That's like a right. text thing, but like they're not acting like a hive anymore, uh, and they're becoming more like an empire. Which means are they not a hive of course. anymore? Have they like denied people their exit right? Denied people their entrance right? No, but they they're thinking of themselves as equal. Like they want to be one of the three people trying the cousins. They want to be equal in stature to the UN and the Alliance. So it implies a sort of like they're trying to like. To, to, to bump up their, them up, they're independent from the hive system. Uh, uh, and I do I have guess. to, like, reiterate my previous assertion. Uh, if it becomes so choice between a Masonic Empire and Jed, fucking Jed 100%. World Empires suck? Maybe Jed won't have a World Empire. Uh, Who knows? Who knows what he's gonna do? He refuses to tell anybody. Yeah, one of the two. Uh, Jed is a... a, a, a a wild uh, red wild card for the world governance and morality, <laughs> and like, don't do that. That's bad. But you know what's worse? Empire. <laughs> he really is a, a wild card in the Fallout New Vegas sense, where there's like one ending where you let one polity take power, one ending where you let the other polity take power, and then the wild card ending where some guy takes power <laughs> and it doesn't elaborate on what he did after that. <laughs> <laughs> Something happened. Who knows? You know, I think what's important to note is that due to the nature of the Masonic Empire, even if Jehovah takes power and not them, uh, that will still be an act of, you know, humanity in some sense. And so they do get credit for it. Yeah, as long as anyone becomes emperor, they win. (laughs) Truly. Pot most incredible pile of horseshit I've ever heard come out of Truly old school fascist logic as ever. I find that uh, difficult to believe. Powering. You've been on this show for a long time. Old school, <laughs> old school fascist logic powering the Masons now as it ever has where they say 
that, you know, in order to defeat them, you must become like them. And so effectively they will win either way. Uh, is that a thing fascists actually said? So, I think it's a yes. thing Mussolini said once. Yes, this is this is a Mussolini quote. We've had this discussion before because I said at some point, um, it's like that old saying about fascism, in order to defeat fascism, you have to become more fascist. And you said, that's a terrible quote. Who said that? And I said, a fascist. It was Mussolini. <laughs> um, and you were like, yeah, that about adds up then. <laughs> I mean, I do think it's a bad quote. Um, <laughs> I mean, it I guess certainly... I'm struggling to. Yeah, I I think it sounds dumb. Um, <laughs> I'm in a really double unfortunate position now, where I heard a dumb thing and I was like, even a fascist wouldn't say something that stupid. And now I've gone and accidentally defended them on this show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay um oops <laughs> and so then the final the final thing i want to talk it. about for this analogy um yeah is that uh mycroft gets all history is one uh undifferentiated grasp before the irrelevant moments where he tries to claim that states that the un's it's a system that's existed for five thousand years simply not true well you know the un uh, state system as at most existed for like seven hundred years, seven hundred eight hundred years, um, it's not, it's not, uh, five hundred thousand years old. These are a bunch of centralized nation states underneath uh, a a international organization, which in substance represents their interests. And I has think a, here he's no. probably just taking Masonic uh, teachings as canon and saying that. Uh, also, know. no, uh, he's just talking about. Geography. But he considers the UN representative of the geographic state system. Yes. They're the current representative of the idea of a geographic state. But, like, maybe, what, like, why doesn't he say monarchy and then the Masons are also part of it? Or why doesn't he say, oh, I don't know, ethnicity and then, like, maybe you can hook in uh, Europe as well? Like, because he's. Hang on. Hear me out. Because he thinks that there's one thing that's important about history, and it's that we used to be geographic, and now we're better than that. <laughs> and the UN <laughs> is the current extant representative of the geographic state. I, I still protest. Like, he, the, 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 there's no relevant sense in which the geographic states are very similar to other, except the fact that they're geographic. Um, but it turns out that the UN is really geographic in like a very fundamental sense. Uh, they maybe don't have Mukta. <laughs> Yeah, they don't. Based on what? What do you mean, maybe? They they don't. Full stop. Yeah, right? Based That's on fucking what? wild. Uh, the, the text. Story, the story about how they, the UN came to be. Um, or do some of them root for us to live? These geographic citizens who hear of Mukta's sparkling promise to weave all Earth into one and say, No thanks. But that's more like... No. That's, uh, that's, that's Minecraft's... A- doing a, a marxism um later this is when he tells us that the geographic citizens don't have mukta they say no i i think no they say they want like their saying, they want a geographic nation state maybe they still have mukta but you know when that, you cross that's, that's more analogous matter. to denying like globalism or globalization 
then it that like there's a difference between saying like we will not ever allow anyone to fly a plane in our country and saying like we would rather not have foreigners come on those planes right uh and i think this is more the latter but like in 20 on 298 we get a direct saying where like um that's the phrase sovereign action was everywhere as um Strong populations outside of Mukta's network to face this new alliance's well-intended invitation, join and prosper. Hmm. Well, that's um, interesting. Yeah, so they just don't have Mukta. Um, and well, then at some but point, they don't have the Mukta network. Yeah. I think that might mean they still have the Mukta flying machines. They just don't have the thing where the flying machine will, like, show up to you because it was magically AI predicted to that you would need to leave at a given time. Maybe they have so airports. they probably just have to why? wait a lot longer. That's what Mukta is. Why Why are you fighting this? It's, I think, it's in I the think book. I think you can separate Mukta the flying machine from, like, the Mukta network. That's my only you, objection. Uh, no, though. Uh, I don't think you can. People don't have okay. their individual muktas. Maybe people in the UN do. Maybe they're like, personal transit, fuck you. Uh, we will fly our own giant antimatter machine. <laughs> and you shall not take them from us. God bless America in Africa. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly what the... Is that exactly what Africans say? <laughs> God bless America in Africa. <laughs> yeah, the Cano base UN will uh will say this, yes. <laughs> Look, God bless America is just what you say when you're defending your right to have an incredibly dangerous thing as a personal possession. That's what Americans say. Um, <laughs> and then we get a thing where like Um There's a whole big fight about them. Okay, then I want to go back again to, uh, oh no, I guess that happens in the fight. So here we find out that Mason breaks his word. Again. Often? Um, I think before that, uh, and the thing before that is You're already on the page after this happened. Oh, fine. No, 298. Yeah. All right, yeah, you see it. This is why I had everyone read the UN uh, charter because they turns out that the UN exists as exists currently in twenty four fifty fifty five exists as a representative of the notion of sovereign action that any country can, for its own reasons and for its own values, inter- choose when and how to interfere with any other country's borders mm-hmm. stuff. This is a rejection. Of the founding principle of the UN. Yes. However, I will say, given that the UN as it exists here uh, is like all the... It, it's basically described as these are all the people who were screwed over by like, you know, uh, large wealthy countries who promised good things and then didn't deliver on them. And then presumably got involved in the church war killed a bunch of each other and then eventually like all the good stuff was taken away by the Gordian organization or or the, whatever company that was I yeah, forget uh, Gordian 
Yeah, the Gordian Company. All the good stuff was taken away by the Gordian Company, put in a little box for later, and presumably a bunch of people in impoverished nations died, and then they were the only ones left on the UN because all the other countries just dissolved, and they were like, okay, we're gonna rewrite the founding documents to say, fuck you, we're gonna have our sovereign actions. Yeah, but like, it's one thing to say, fuck you, we're not gonna join the alliance, but fuck you, we can invade each other whenever we want. No wonder all the countries are described as saber-rattling. At any moment, <laughs> another country next to it can decide for whatever reason to invade you, and you don't want to do jack shit. Well, no. that's always no. true. That's why you, you have diplomacy. You can retaliate in kind. Again, that's why you read have your diplomacy. Leviathan. You were right. That's why this, we needed to have read why, it. That's why that's saber-rattling. Yeah, you don't do yes, nothing about just, it. Someone invades you, the, you invade them right back. Harder. The UN, the UN does jack shit. Not you. The UN, I agree that the UN does jack shit, yes. The UN doesn't doesn't care if you invade people, but you can make your own treaties to try and make it more difficult for people to invade you. Yeah, this but is this a is like standing tradition. This is this is this is the rejection of, of not just rejection of the UN founding principle, which is like but this this is this is such a straightforward rejection. It's like finding out um in the next uh five like find like it's like Finding out in the next um, five hundred years that the Mormon, the Church, the Church of the Latter Day Saints is an officially atheist organization, like it's fucking bonkers. Yeah, it's it's more or less the opposite of what it is. Because the UN Charter, because you did have us read it, basic summary is like nobody should ever be allowed to break the peace, no matter how good they think their reason is. We're not having wars anymore, and the point of this organization is to make sure there's never going to be another war. There is a single council, the Security Council, which can illegally allow another nation to invade another nation, and that's the only person you can do. Only person can do that. <laughs> um, people declare wars even less than they did before. Now, there's been like seven or eight declarations of wars. Uh, the first one, which covers like eight wars, is about the um. The Israel-Palestine <laughs> conflict, um, but like you know, uh, not only that, eight of the last thirteen, uh, eight of the like thirteen declarations of war that happened after the UN uh, was put into place happened in the twenty-first century. Like really, truly, it is really uncommon. It was really uncommon until very recently to declare war on people, <laughs> and even now, it's very uncommon. Uh, but in in the future, they just have sovereign action, um, which is, by the way, a sort of inversion. So there's a there's a, there's a movement called the non-interventionism, which is the idea that like, uh, was the opposite of sovereign action. It's the idea that you shouldn't invade other countries because usually you don't do it for good reasons. Um, and now sometimes people use sovereign actions to say, actually, you can't stop that genocide happening over the border. But mostly, no! Mostly people invade each other for shitty reasons! Yeah. 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 Humanity I, doesn't uh, have a great record. And, with, with respect to the paragraph we're on, I do like that Mycroft right away admits that they really, really overreach and underreach on the first law, uh, despite what 9A might insist. Yeah, so that is another question I had. Have the Black Laws been perverted, as Mycroft says? And if so, are there any additions or clarifications that are good? Which ones are bad? 
I think it's great that Mycroft lists the banning talking about the period of Ethnatus as an overreach, and then says Mason doesn't lie, though. Mason tells the truth. <laughs> Mason doesn't have anything to do with how, how our laws are, are lying. Nothing to do at all. It's all He's fine. He's been good the whole time. He doesn't good say Mason time. doesn't lie. He says his empire does not lie. <laughs> Fucking pedant. pedant. Um, no, no, no. You don't understand. It's an important distinction because his empire can't speak. So, strictly speaking, <laughs> it is true that Mason's empire doesn't lie or excuse. He's, his empire you're, you're is really... fine. Yeah, because Cornell, as we see, constantly goddamn excuses things. Can we please move to the next page and talk about how Mycroft didn't get hobbled? No, I'm still no, busy talking what? about whether or not we've overreached on the first law. And the answer is yes, clearly. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, the Imperator Destinatus should never have been written into the first law. Um, yeah. It should simply have been left to Mason to personally prosecute every time until people stopped doing it. Yeah, that really seems like... You, you do have to wonder, how did that happen? And the answer has just gotta be that Mason was like, Yeah, if you don't put that in the law, I'll make war on all of you. <laughs> Go to hell! <laughs> I agree. It was clearly blackmailed by Mason. And I'm fine with that part. Um, but it was also clearly overreached that they gave in. Everyone who <laughs> criticized this early on was right. It clearly took them no time at all. And then, bam, <laughs> manipulating the system. Like, the critique of universal laws is, I think, interesting. Um... But the the idea that we should replace it by intervention by anyone at any time is bonkers um, to me. Sorry, who do you support again? What faction are you on board with? The Black Loss. Oh, that's interesting. Hey, did you... Have you just dropped your whole Black Law thing? Because you have... <laughs> you've come hard on anti-Black Law rhetoric like five times this episode. What? No. I like the Black Laws. He likes the black laws, the people, but not the black laws, the actual laws. Too many laws, if he's concerned. Also true. Um, but also, fundamentally, a person doing it and a state doing it are just different things. States are instruments of war and destruction. Uh, they're going to use the power to, to intervene to do wars. That's the entire point of the sovereign action. So, thing. wait. Hey, are you actually fine with Mason making wars because he's doing it personally? No, because he's an instrument of a state. But he's a person. But he's doing it with a state. So you support... How like, many say... people do I... Can I rally beneath me before I'm a state? So was Sniper bad before when they were... Uh, uh, or when it was uh, like acting as a state actor, but good now that it's been disavowed? <laughs> 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 Uh, uh, the amount of the actor <laughs> Sniper has is variable. Uh, I do want to say this. Um, uh -huh. Having a norm of intervention, as opposed to non-intervention, will lead to more wars and more deaths. Um, whereas, uh, a... And not say that I think that there should be a norm of intervention, even on personal matters, but a norm of intervention on a person-by-person -person level is, I think, much less dangerous. So, did you read the book Anti-Fragile? Leviathan. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yes. Finish Leviathan, please. 
<laughs> but also, <laughs> did you read the book Anti-Fragile? I have not. People uh, keep telling me to read it. Here's what you should do. Don't read all of Anti-Fragile, um, but read like the first five chapters and then take my word for it that the rest of the book is him saying the same thing in increasingly <laughs> pretentious ways. Uh, <laughs> what I is think, the thing? Uh, the, the deal with anti-fragile is he's talking about the idea that you can have systems where they work at like 90% or 0%, or you can have systems that mostly stick somewhere around 60%. Uh, and a fragile system... or like, bro- That's broadly what he's talking about, right? No. You can have systems... <laughs> <laughs> that work really well and then fail dramatically, or you can have systems that work uh, somewhat well because they respond really obviously to any fluctuation in conditions, and thus are you can more easily tell when something's going wrong. No. <laughs> hey, d- you didn't read it, did you? No, I-, I read this book called The Lost Books of Anti-Fragile, and... <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly like what's happening uh his whole thing is that um we have a word for fragility where when something is exposed to a shock it breaks but we don't have a word for the opposite thing where when something is exposed to a shock uh it improves and the example he really likes is like evolution is what he would call anti-fragile because when it's exposed to a big shock or a medium shock, um, it not only doesn't destroy itself, but comes out of it stronger than it was before the shock happened. Uh, That's true. It's like... It depends on how you define strength, I guess. There, it, it's true-ish. I don't know how much it's literally true of evolution, but like there are systems okay, which but what? Are, there are... It is true that there are systems which... Uh, benefit from being exposed to, like, environmental variants, and they normally look really random and unsteady, whereas there are also systems that don't really benefit from that, and you can keep them going for a long time, uh, and they'll look really stable and comfortable, but then as soon as, like, a medium wave comes by, they all fall apart. Uh, So you think that the norm of intervention uh, is, in fact, an anti-fragile system which makes the world a better place? I'm setting that up as a way to look at the two models to here. Yeah, maybe the UN, by having sort of constant minor wars, has created a system that is anti-fragile to wars, uh, whereas the hives managed to avoid war for a really long time by keeping everyone afraid, but as soon as a tiny bit of war started, everything fell apart. I mean, I think the problem is the hives just didn't make war illegal enough. Maybe if they uh, did more <laughs> to say that it shouldn't happen, then it wouldn't have happened. I they tried that. We now and it worked we now for a long know time. of two <laughs> two hives which had major conspiracies, probably to make wars. So you know that's fun. I think, uh, and probably has a lot to do with what fucking happened. <laughs> yeah, you gotta love. Two hives figured it out. Neither one chose to tell anybody. Like that's the that's the shaking hands meme of the Brillis and the Utopians is not telling anybody anything. <laughs> and uh, Mycroft wants us to believe that the one who pushed the world most into war uh, was the hive, which will benefit the least from the war, um, which is bullshits. <laughs> Deep bullshits. 
so yeah, that that's maybe something. Anti-Fragile is a good book. Uh, the guy who wrote it will do stuff like... More than once, he's in the middle of describing some concept, and then he goes, you know, what I really love are the olives served by uh, the UAE airplanes, uh, which I often take first class. They have a, a black tamponade that is simply the best. Um, and then he'll just go back to talking about his philosophy stuff, and he, he, he happens- He wants you to know like, that he's rich. how cultured he is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I believe you've talked about this before and said that for the first, like, two-thirds of the book, it's incredibly annoying, but eventually it becomes charming that he's just, like, this so weird guy with these weird deeply insecure about how cultured he is? <laughs> well, it, it, it comes around on you, you know? He does it for so long, it, it becomes <laughs> difficult. It's like Mycroft. Um, <laughs> it's like just his it weird thing. A- he won't stop. Nicholas... Nicholas it reaches a point where you just—it reaches a point where you just can't believe that he's trying to like <laughs> prove anything to you because like he's already done it sixty times before. So you're just like, I guess you just like talking about this, whatever, man. Go off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think we get him on the podcast because I, I, I don't think that it would. If we were a wealthier My... podcast, maybe. <laughs> David My... Yusuf really likes him. I'm, I'm sure he would be. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he's the kind of guy who could just call him. Um, I know three things about. No, I know two things when they, they uh, Nicholas left the that he's an asshole on Twitter, mm-hmm. and that I think <laughs> the surprising. the initial like claims he makes in anti fragile about um the specific physical properties of stocks are just like turns out to be wrong, which is fun. Um, um, that's kind of. He sort of addresses that in the book Anti-Fragile. Uh, oh, he claims that it's impossible to, to tell the verify his claims? What uh, a fun thing to claim. What a fun thing. What a, what a credible thing to say. So there is a whole long thing that I recall him doing where he talks about how the stock market is like a good intellectual tool for understanding how this might work. But later he does say several times like, but it's become so regulated that I think maybe it's just fragile again now. I don't know. Um. No, there's a specific claim about like the properties of, of stock prices, where like um, they don't have a finite mean or variance. One of the two. Uh, which I, I think they just turned out to be not true. Hmm. Then maybe you would need to, you would need to tell me what the claim was and why people think it isn't true. And I'd have to Look, probably read the book again. This isn't the point. I, I didn't mean a, this to I love a digression as much as the ne- next fellow, but we are still, I think, on the first or second page of this chapter, and mm-hmm. a lot of stuff happens, and we are not, we have not gotten to my second note. It's great. Love it. Uh, yeah, welcome back on? to the show. <laughs> welcome back to the show. <laughs> what are we on now? What do you want to talk about? Are you on Mason Breaks' word? Yes, I was on uh, Mycroft Avoids Getting Hobbled. That's yes. way later. Yeah, you're it's not even close. not that much later. Mason breaks his word. Okay. Apparently Mason breaks his word, and that's bad. But the examples he gave are fine. Um, except for this stuff about breaking the oath of office. I think we might have seen a few of them. But I, I'm not confident enough to claim that. Like, I think maybe he broke his oath of office by his own estimate when he was really angry after the Sanctum came in. And if and that's like, what he means, 
then okay. But if he means the, other the, stuff, I'll be appropriately more angry with Cornell. The thing well, where like, he the like, declared war for White because he was you... really angry that day? Yeah, that was probably bad. Yeah. The Oath of Office says that you have to prune those branches of humanity's tree which are not useful to Empire or whatever. Uh, when Or something like that. And I think he probably didn't do that uh, because he's just way too merciful. Well, he also, there's also that you won't, you will not be mad. You'd like, you won't look at, look at in anger those who, the branches which prick you. It's something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think he has done that several times. Yeah. And like, but not only has he done it, it's been crucial to decision making. Yeah, I mean. to the world's Mycroft says he super wants to kill Mycroft and like thinks about it all the time. I think not killing Mycroft might be another one of them, though. Mm-hmm. Really, a can't win situation if you don't kill him. I think so the only reason he doesn't kill Mycroft kill is that Apollo said so. Uh, so, yes. I think Arguably, he might count I mean, Mycroft's life as a violation of his oath. There's a reasonable case to be made that Mycroft is actually useful to the Masonic Empire, though, right? Because, like, no one else can tell what Jed means in a really effective way. And also, Mycroft is just the most skilled person in, like, three or five disciplines in the world. Wild how that turned out. Uh, also, telling Cinna and Charlemagne, correct call. Um, I think he did the right thing there. It is okay. unfortunate that they were both too good at their job to stop Charlemagne's <laughs> stupid children. I think it's great that if they had talked to Charlemagne about their plan, he would have said, no, it's stupid, and I know for a fact it's like a bad idea, and will only make things worse. This didn't tell Charlemagne. Uh, yeah. Real, real fun it, fact there. Charlemagne for yeah. sure would have been like, I will go report this to Mason. Or, or even like, like just say to you now, stupid plan. Uh, don't do that. Bad plan. I, sw- I swear <laughs> on my life, you know, it's like a bad plan. Hey, not even reasons... the emperor. No, I no, uh, e- my, not even I, on, I, on the basis that like maybe it violates the law technically, but on the grounds you're saying it, it's stupid, and I happen to know that. Just like I, he's like just like before he can do anything else, he's just like I swear an inviolate oath that that is fucking stupid, and don't do it. <laughs> Things were. So close to panning it. <laughs> Do you think Jim and Jin conspired somehow to make sure that they didn't speak to Charlemagne about this? Ooh. So this is actually another one of the questions I wanted to ask you is what uh, later in the chapter they say, oh, it's the Gordians who like planned the triumvirate and made that whole thing happen. Does this change Warrior's opinion of whether the, it was a coup? What? The you thought fully Jim and Jin probably wasn't doing a coup. I was pretty I was pretty on board for it being a coup, right? I'm not making that up. No, yeah. I think what Weru said that it was like arguably an accidental or lawful coup. Uh, uh no. What I said was um uh the person doing the coup was um if anybody did the coup, it was um was it the censor, which I still stand by. Um, Su Hyun? Su Hyun. Yeah, Su Hyun is the one who read the triumvirate. 
Um, hey, but... does the fact that <laughs> arguably that that we have evidence evidence suggesting now that it was all like planned by Jim and Jin does that affect anything? You don't have evidence for that. Uh, well, I mean, there was all the evidence it. we had before that you didn't like. Can we evaluate that again? <laughs> yeah, because like I I do have to remind you because this is I and I love that I made this note so early. Because uh, when Jin and Jin arrests those people, when he arrests like Chowdhury and them, yeah. the reason he gives for it is that he sees something in their eyes that indicates their traitorousness. And it's like, at the time, I was like, what the fuck is the legal system here if that's good enough? <laughs> and uh, apparently, you know, there's a reason we have due process. No, you just I can't believe look for... I- it was a distinct traitorosity, right? They had to go. <laughs> uh, it still happens to be the case that uh, there was a consp- there was a like um, they were in in it together, and that uh, Chowdhury uh, did go. By the way, apparently it's legal for black for white laws to go to brothels. Who fucking knew? Um, Look, not everyone are Puritans like the cousins. Sex is not a crime. <laughs> Well, if I, <laughs> I mean, some sex is a crime. I just mean sex isn't inherently a crime. Okay, maybe. I think I think there's also a real solid chance that white laws maybe aren't allowed to go to brothels, and this happened anyway. Also, also remember yeah. when? Uh, That's what I think too. W- way um, back in the first book, Thisbe and Carlisle are having a conversation, and Thisbe says like. Oh, the cousins, they're so uppity about how their law is more strict than the white laws. And if it's true that white laws are allowed to go to brothels, we now have outside confirmation that that's true. Do we need outside confirmation that that's true? Thisbe has never there lied was, to us. <laughs> there was there was some uh, consternation about whether or not it was true or whether Thisbe was just, like, being mad. <laughs> Thisbe was totally being mad. Uh, there's some indication... I think it's reasonable to think that some parts of her accusations are true. Um, but the fact that she, like... like <laughs> she got so fucking pissed about this that she, like, started yelling and screaming outside of a secret plan to, in- in- to get a thing makes it indicates that, you know, maybe if you don't trust everything she says, and especially not the tones of what she says... I think people getting mad and screaming at cousins is so normal... That it doesn't even cause problems with secret plans. It did. It textually got pro- problems got caused. There were caused that was an unfortunate coincidence. In general, <laughs> I think Thisbe was doing fine, and no one would raise an eyebrow at someone yelling at a cousin, okay. especially outside a brothel. You would think if Thisbe is like a professional and hobbyist murderer, she'd be better at covering her tracks. She wasn't going there to do a murder, though. But also, like, the kinds of murders she does, fights are allowed. She'd, like, date somebody, breaks up with them, gets them to commit suicide, has a shouting match with them, and go off to commit suicide. Did that guy from Chapter 2 die? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. That's That's the third death. Is that she, she, like... (laughs) <laughs> she, she's th- that guy comes in and is like this be if i can't be with you i'll die and she's like then die and l- he leaves and then much later we find out he actually killed himself <laughs> he's the third death the third death That's happened rough. that week <laughs> she was really pleased with herself after that too 
Oh boy. Well, yeah, because that's that's what she was trying to do. Well, so what happened? The guy is just dead. We can probably check yeah, that, names and that's, too. If we I get names right, for all three victims, and I think the third name matches the name that we get from that guy. From that yeah, guy. and if I remember right, in book three, that's what she gets convicted on. Yeah. Not any of the OS stuff. Just like, well, you also just made some dudes kill themselves for fun. So Occam we'll is also for that. Conv- trying to be convicted as an accomplice because he conceals the the first uh, three murders. Mm-hmm. And then in that second in that second chapter, <laughs> Occam says, "Hey, don't do that again." <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he he calls wow. her like irresponsible or something. We've got to go and do a reread of book one episode <laughs> before this is over. I know, right? It's fucking wild. The, like the first thing Mycroft talks about when we get into the first chapter is that, uh, what is it, uh. Carlisle Foster rose full of strength that day, and it's like, oh yeah, that becomes a resonant line. Not, not this book, not next book. Like three books later. Um, but yeah, right. Like, um, we do. I do plan to have a, a single reread book episode for every book because they're just we go to read, we go read, read the chapters, and probably the ending of this book will be obvious by like chapter halfway through book one. <laughs> I mean, truly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, in the first chapter, it says what's going to happen. Yeah, and we just like fucking the blinds. <laughs> yeah, probably. But you know, <laughs> if doing this show has taught me anything, it's how long people cannot put stuff together that they should already know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, so another thing about that, I, I don't know if you guys mentioned this, but a connection that I I loved with the first book and the fourth book is. In the first book, you remember that diatribe that Mycroft goes on where he's like, you should pray to help Carlisle. Now you might be thinking, I'm writing this after this has already happened. I know what happened. And you're reading this even further in the future. So your prayers can't affect anything. But if God made everything, you know, at one time and knew what was going to happen, then he knew you were going to pray and might change things based on that. And that's effectively what happened with Jed, or at least if Mycroft is right, because uh, he set up the Bridger satellite in advance, if that's... Uh, a miracle that the creator made. Eh, I don't know if I want to give you that one. I think that's a bit of a reach. <laughs> Alright. Okay. Uh, so can we move on in the chapter so that I can get to my second note? Hobbles. Yeah, this is the one Okay, so uh, Mycroft avoids getting hobbled, so we need to increment the Mason Mercy counter by one. And again, note that he has failed, like, every time he ever said he was going to punish someone. That's not true. He had a tracker welded to Mycroft's ear. That's true, but, like, come on. (laughs) That's such a minor thing. And also, Mycroft got it off pretty quick, didn't he? The ear? Yes. He took him almost dying. <laughs> it was pretty odd. He was. It was he described was as hideously illegal for anyone else to do to anyone else. It took him. Well, he had to like cut off his ear in the middle of like several a secondary explosion. I think yes, I agree. However, what we've learned here is that Mason's punishments, when they do come, are insufficient. He is a very merciful emperor. Perhaps uh, more than would be ideal. 
Uh, so we hear more about the cousin's sequestration camps. No, you're uh, way ahead of me. You're uh, again okay. way ahead. We have to talk about. I don't know how to t- address this. It's like a whole long. Most of this chapter is Jed talking about how much he likes the Gordians and doesn't like Utopia, which is great. Um, <laughs> it's it's what some of the best things in this because fully halfway through. Minecraft's like, well, he can't be talking about Utopia because Utopia is good. <laughs> like, yeah, it can't. The Long Pain Branch that just has to mean a bad war, and a bad war would be one where the Gordians win. <laughs> so I think Jehovah, and I don't say this lightly, might be wrong about what's causing the war. Uh, what does he say causes the war? He seems to think that it's about a conflict between. The Gordians and Utopia for who will be the future of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think even if you solve that problem tomorrow, you still have a bunch of war going on. Yeah, but he's specific. He thinks there's a trunk war that's happening, and the trunk war is between Gordian and Utopia. And he could have ended it by just letting the Gordians plan succeed, but he didn't. Yeah. yeah. And there's, like, multiple fractal conflicts. And also, if we believe that the Gordians are, like, magically good at, uh, uh, you know, propaganda and also are causing the silence, then them no longer being... Them no longer having an interest in prolonging the war would probably foreshorten all the other conflicts. Do you think Perry is on the Gordian side? (sighs) I think maybe. Good solid chance. I mean, first... 60%. 60%. First, we have to determine what is the wrong side, and then he's on that one. Well, first it is usually historically has chosen the right side. Hmm. Or at least the winning side. No, he's chosen the right side. This is hmm. beaten for his troubles, and everybody hates him. Well, yeah, but was he actually supporting Troy, or was he just against the, the Greeks? He was against the, the idea of this stupid, wasteful war, which is the correct stance to have. Sure, but that means he wasn't on either side. He was on his own better side. <laughs> Are you sure you don't support the Masons? Because <laughs> the Mason side is worse. It's Mason went out and made his own worse side, maybe. Would you would you perhaps suggest that Thersides is on the outside helping? I hope Ooh. not. Like the name of the chapter? That'd be fun. I'd be, I'll be really upset if that's what happened. <laughs> Honestly, I think the question isn't who's right. The question is, who, if he supports them, will be the least narratively satisfying? <laughs> I think it's the answer be... to that... Who... No, go ahead. Who would be the worst to be saved at the last minute by... Casimir Perry again. Spain. <laughs> Casimir Perry's on Spain. Well, who, side. who have we got left as like characters that we haven't seen much from? There's Martin. There's uh, we only briefly saw Eloise. There's Madame Darway. She's not been here. For we have a character list. Let's go through that one. Um, no, no, he hates okay. her. No, no. I, you know what? I like this. It's Spain. Uh, the war continues, right? Heads towards whatever resolution it heads towards between Faust and the Masons and the Utopians and the Cousins and the Mitsubishi. And then, right when one of them is about to win, Casimir Perry shows up with the King of Spain and kills everyone and decides (laughs) 
and that w- and then I won, and that's the end of the book. <laughs> <laughs> the last chapter just written by Casimir fucking- Oh man, wouldn't that be a thing? It's like, yeah, Mycroft thought he was history's greatest monster. Fuck him. I'm history's greatest monster, and no one will take that from me. Look, killing leaders of this war, not not a bad thing to think about doing, really. Um, Quality, I don't deserve it. Um, uh, King of Spain was a pretty nice guy, apparently. Yeah, the, the King of Spain, you really would struggle to make a case that he's done, like, <laughs> anything wrong. He's married except Madame. maybe insist on marrying Madame. He yeah, did that's, marry that's Madame. a good But he one. even he did that Madame. because of a opaque code of conduct he had already agreed to follow. That he agreed to follow because the Madame had inculcated him, it in him during their kink sessions. Yeah, it was pretty well, impressive. yes. I hope we get more yes. Madame, because... Frankly, she brought a lot to this series, and I've I've been missing her influence. Hmm. Madame, where is Madame? Because like, there's lots of people we have to talk about. I think on an island. I don't remember where she was last heard from. Not an island. Um, like some part of Spain. Um, no, it was an island. No, I'm pretty sure that's not true. She was in some island fortress. I'm I'm sure. Was she in Menorca? Maybe. Um, I forget which. There have been more than one fortress built on more than one island. But the place she was was an island fortress. We've seen... So we haven't seen Leslie. We haven't seen Joyce. We've seen Aesop and, and some Dominic and Heloise. and Aesop Corriman. And Gilbertrot, and Cornell, and Shalior, and Achilles, that is, that not Patroclus, is the trouble, though, and Felix, as far as and be- Carlisle, <laughs> and Huxley, not Mushi. Ooh. Um, as far as being unsatisfying, I feel like Thisbe if is still, Casimir Perry came up... Thisbe is somewhere. Somebody captured Thisbe. Perry must have captured Thisbe, right? Oh, no. Um, that was, the Gordians that was captured close. Thisbe! That was Gordians, yeah, the Gordians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. For sure. Yeah. That's their whole thing. Yeah, now that we know they're actually doing stuff. Gordians have Thisbe. Uh, yeah, and the Gordians dead. probably, like, like the, the people described, like, a, a bunch of fear and people going to sleep. That's a classic smell stuff. shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, a hundred, I'm, for sure. Uh, Sydney died. Cat and Robin type we've heard from. Is Tully... Sydney died? Sydney didn't die? What? Didn't, didn't we find out Sydney dies this chapter? No! Sydney's bash We meet dies. Sydney. Rue She's kinds. fine. It's Rue. Rue Coons. I thought both of those were dead people. No. No. Sydney has an extended conversation about what the set sets have been doing. No, that's Rue Eureka. Coons was killed. That's Eureka. Oh, By the way, uh, the person talking to Eureka was Scalova, and we need to talk about that, but not yet. We um, we do. We that's a that's an important thing to talk about. This I, I thought both. I thought Sydney had long. died, and Sydney's mother had died. And Eureka commented on it, but okay. She's somewhere. No, no, Sydney, it, Sydney's in a Latin American jail, I think. Okay. Huh. Tully, still with Casimir Perry? No, we know exactly where Tully is. Wait a minute, Tully? Oh, right, saw right, right. them last the chapter. chapter. Yeah. Look, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Ganymede got stabbed and then blown up. <laughs> well, yeah, but the stabbing was totally unimportant <laughs> compared to the. Uh, Where's Danae? Up. Danae. 
with the Mitsubishi doing Mitsubishi stuff? One must assume. Vivian must be Latin America. It's weird that we don't get mentioned what Vivian's doing. We just get mentioned of what Aesop's doing. That's weird. Uh, I mean, if we're talking think about that the, what's uh, there was doing, a coup in the I humanists mean, and they got Ando, Vivian. Ando uh, is running Homeland, right? Yes. So presumably Dana is with him. We'd hope, we'd hope, we think. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's an as- assumption you could make. Uh, Julia's still hiding in the Vatican, right? No! Julia <laughs> should be in Romanova. They left her with the responsibility to sort of right. run things using her evil They powers. watch, she's personally responsible for watching over Jim and Jen. Oh, man, I hope we get some more out of that. Julia was also very fun. I would take Julia messing stuff up a bit. Uh, Kosala we know about Papadalius, yeah. Jimin Jin totally did a coup. Uh, Charlemagne, Suhyun, Nine Kato. At best, Jimin Jin got the censor to do a coup. No. Uh, they jailed the people who could give the censor true advice, and then, mysteriously, the person near the brain wizard did what the brain wizardry team would want them to do. (laughs) I, think we've I seen said it at the time, so I'm saying strange. it again now. Uh, we should be real <laughs> suspicious. We have seen enough about Suhyun that Suhyun would do whatever anybody who's older and plausibly has authority over them would say. Uh, well, actually, that, that does bring up another question I wanted to ask. Do you think the Gordians are the good guys? And do you think that their side is more ethical than other sides? The Gordians should win. I don't know about good guys, but the Gordians clearly have put in the work. <laughs> they might deserve well, I mean, it at I'm... this point, but I think uh, <laughs> Utopia is the Utopia is the side that one should root for. Uh, they have a better long-term plan. We've we've been through all this well, argument a dozen times, though. We see this is one of my favorite. They're now it's now being claimed that the Gordians caused the silence, which, if true, means that it they're almost doing the utopia thing of stealing someone else's hive's like main trait because we've had it constantly described that whatever is causing the global silence is like an incredible masterwork of technology. Not even, like just in terms of like the power, they need to have enough that they'll describe the feeling that could power that. Is the car- No, wait, the Gordians did the cars, too. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. The Gordians did the cars. Apparently, I was wrong last chapter. The Gordians did the cars, and through doing the cars, did the- uh, They must have agents in all the hives, right? That's what's happening here. They have, like, a bunch of assets in every hive, and they do- Are we sure Casimir Perry wasn't a Gordian? It seems like he's pulling straight out of their playbook of- Maybe he is a Gordian agent. Like, fucking who knows? Ooh, that, that, yeah, that, that could be interesting. Uh, okay. Um, the rest Faust of our list. You... Mm-hmm. Spain, presumed dead. Otaka, doing stuff. The Mitsubishi board of directors are clearly going to become important eventually. They, they're important hmm. now. But we I haven't mean, they've met already any spl- of them. Like, so... splintered into factions. Um, like, we get the... a name-by-name list. Lubao... <laughs> They've always got a name by name list, and they often show up for like a single, a couple chapters, and then they disappear. Um, but Lu Biao Zhou, oh no, God, not Lu Biao Zhou. Yoshida, yeah, Hajima Mush. One of these people, one of the, no, wait, Wang Bao I mean, Bao, there we are, fucking Wang Bao Bao, is 
uh, Fu Zhang, the Fu Zhang leader. Like, we get a scattering of, like... You don't, you don't think of, that's Andromeda? I think Andromeda I mean, uh, is, is leading um, Milai. If I've learned oh, anything right, right, about right. Japanese... I've, yeah, I've yeah, mixed right? them up. Okay. You know, Fujiang and Malai are different, because um, Fujiang is just pure Rameka. Malai are the utopian Mitsubishi. If I've learned anything about Japanese politics from playing uh, Yakuza games, the way this is going to resolve is all of these guys are going to go to the top of a tower, and they're going to bring all their enemies, and then they're going to fist fight there to see who's the best. Then, eh? uh, then we get the Bash Children, which we've only gotten... We've seen no Otoshi is. Masami yeah. is somewhere. Haroka... Hiroka maybe in Casablanca? Um, Sora, who knows where they are? They must be a member of the humanists. They were probably there before. Um, Ran was just fired, might be just unemployed, but also humanists. Like multiple humanists here. Um, Jun um, is in Ingolstadt. It's interesting that the humanists aren't, like, vocally pro-set-set. You would think that that might be one of the dividing lines here. Um, oh, and Mishi might be dead, because Mishi was in Amsterdam. Amsterdam lit, lit on fire. By the way, I want to take credit. I predicted Europe was going to burn, and it fucking did. It did burn. Eh, all of it? Good part of it. Did you mean the, the geography or the organization? I get credit either way. <laughs> no, I'm only giving you one. <laughs> and only if you predicted the correct one. So did you they mean both the geography burned. or the organization? They both burned. Uh, no. <laughs> Count me on average for one, but surely, surely no matter what I meant, I could get one. Well, if you I meant think... the organization, then I'll I'll give it to you. But if you meant all of Europe would be on fire... Uh, no. Amsterdam is like a comparatively small part of Europe. It's part of the most, it's part of the most, uh, densely populated Compared to and the rich, size of Europe. Most about densely populated and rich parts of Europe. Thank you very much. But did you um, know there's a lot of Europe and a lot of it isn't on fire? Oh, I did want to give you credit. I think one of you predicted previously that whoever... Like, the nurturists had to be using set sets as part of their operations. I can't remember why you said this, but it's in, it's confirmed here. It wasn't the nurturists, it was like the cousins. Because, um, Rue Coons was happily doing this job before September 8th. So I think what happened is that, like, the cousins, in an attempt to try to do their camps, recruited Rue Coons, treated them pretty well, and then on September 8th, when everything went to shit and all the cars went down, uh, Bro, the some, nurturist, like, did a coup and took over the thing that was supposed to be for sequestration camp? No, the Gordian assets took over the, uh, the operation. Because hmm. the Gordians are the ones who... It's implied the Gordians are the ones who did this. Yeah, that is something I did need to mention, that it's, it's very unfortunate that I managed to pivot away from the faction which seemed to have caused the greatest attempted crime of the war thus far, the, the attack on the Utopians, but I pivoted into the organization that is immediately revealed to have been the inciting factor. Uh, we see, like, not yes. even do we get the abstract thing, we see them, the, the person they have hung, like, hanging pus-filled from a rafter. Well, uh, I think you're using the word person in 
an interesting way. Um, Wild. So now of all I, times, I, uh, I did. I did actually want to ask you. We see a lot of conversation from Eureka here, uh, and this would be. I, I think this is actually written by Nine A rather than Mycroft, so you can't say it has a spin on it. So I'm curious if this changes what you think about set sets at all because she sure seems like she cares about things and has opinions you think what? this is clearly, written by 9a clearly mycroft i thought so oh well then i forgot i don't think any of this chapter was 9a yeah i forget who's doing what it's, it's not always the most there's obvious. a long metaphor about like um ancient history and like he's interrupted not even in italics by hobbs so yeah fair enough so but still do you take anything in the ongoing set set question from this chapter i think eureka does seem to be using very natural language when it communicates and that's your criteria for personhood yeah as we established that, and specifically that, is the only thing I mean. I'm glad <laughs> that you took away from that 12-day debate the one lesson <laughs> I intended everyone to, which is, people are specifically things that communicate in natural language. Great. Look, you're the one who has a weird opinion here. Uh, okay, we can talk about micro- uh... 9A's, not 9A, Jed's language, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, so Zhao Hei Wang communicates um, using all of his languages in this chapter, but Minecraft has it, like, translates much of it, um, but does see fit to like communicate things like the plurality of views, um, to like input like uh, translation notes as, as, as things go on, which is interesting, I think. Um, I think it's because we're getting it in real time now. So when Mycroft was writing his earlier chronicle, Mycroft could decide what was important and use th what wound up happening to sort of inform his translation choices. Whereas now he's writing it as it happens. So he has to list all of the things that Jehovah might have meant because he doesn't know which one is the, the key part well of the sentence anymore. Yeah, but like even really... even last time, like we have the most translations. I think when Joe was in the hospital, and um, Jack Mohan, Jed translates Jack Mohan as um, not even like the words he says. He just says vaguely what he meant. He said he says Jehovah said X, Epicuro said Y, um, etc. etc. Yeah, but he can't now. Hmm. And I, I do like that, uh, that kind of ties into something else he says, uh, which is, like, talking about somebody who did a thing, I can't even remember what it was, he's like, yeah, I'm sorry I've never mentioned this guy before, but I'm writing this, like, live as it happens, uh, so, even though this guy is important, I haven't had time to, I haven't had reason to mention him, so I haven't brought him up. Rue Coons, Kenzie, all sorts of people just sort of show up and then disappear, and it's like... <laughs> He's like, yeah, sorry, I can't write this better because I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> but the thing is fun. Um, I would like to read Mycroft's... I would oh. like to read Mycroft doing this again six months after the war ends, just to see what editorial changes he would have made. Like, if we he would did it... 
yeah. with the information he had in the first one, would we spend half the book with Rue Coons? I don't think he would, but I think, like, much in the way that the first two books are, like, ridiculously packed full of foreshadowing, and, like, especially the first book super foreshadows the second, it would be more like that. Where it's constantly full of lines where you're just like, oh my god, you told me this in chapter one, and it comes up in chapter 26. Well, the, the thing that happens for that is that, like, we get access to OS's records, whereas we don't get access to the cousin's records or the Gordian records. Uh, so, like, if if he was rewriting this previously, the first half of this book wouldn't be a almost primary source uh, diary about a single city. It would be um, all the different vignettes from all the different places in the war. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, like, honestly, if I were... Like, this book is what it is, and it's fine, but if I were a historian in this world trying to get a sense of what was going on, I would want a primary source account of a high-level Gordian agent. But, like, that's what, like, you... This is what you're studying, right? If you're studying what happened to Romanova, this is an excellent source. Um, yes, that's true, but if well, I wanted someone who had the most complete picture of what was actually happening and why, then I think they would know more than anyone else. I don't think this is an excellent source for what happened in Romanova. 9A was a <laughs> poor 9A. historian, as they are a poor anonymous. They were A, absurdly biased, and B, absurdly busy. But we did get like a picture of what happened in Romanova. <laughs> we get a picture of what sometimes happened for parts of the time Romanova existed. How bad do you think it is in Romanova? I don't think we've been given any indication. You know what? Yeah, I think that maybe... I bet it's actually pretty fine right now in Romanova. I bet they're on their well, third genocide. No, because think about it. <laughs> who, Jim who do you Jin think they've genocided? And Julia have taken over running Romanova. No. I bet it's fine. Papa's... Papa's, um... Aids is taking over Romanova, and are trying to keep Jim and Jin under their thumb. If Jim I, and I Jin is actually an accordion agent, maybe Jim is going to like throw a wrench into the pipeworks. Throw a wrench I into mean, the what a strange that, if. Do you think that, you know, Papa's guys are good enough to not get subverted by fucking Julia and fucking Jin Im Jin? Julia, who yeah. in this book personally talked down a riot. But like that's a that's unlike a Tuesday, just with theology. Just that's if Julia's walked out to a Julia, riot and shouted at them until they went home. That's if Julia is like on their side. Um, maybe Julia. Won't I be. mean, Julia sure gives the impression that she would support like Europe because she's constantly going on about her royalty. Um, is that? I think Julia just sort of wants to see what happens. Uh, no, that's not true. Julia is a dedicated proponent. Of um, the hive guard. She's a sniper cult. She's a sniper right? cultist, much in the way that many people are Jed cult. Really and truly, um, yeah. much to the detriment of both, of both um, the sniper prince and, and sniper. They both have like surrounding bizarre cults around them, uh, who misinterpret almost everything they say for whatever reason they have <laughs> personal desires they have. Um, I guess this is another thing. Like, Does Jed like, get misinterpreted a lot? Yes. I think perhaps Sniper learned a valuable lesson about being careful what you wish for. 
<laughs> um, oh yeah, it's, this is really a fairy tale type story. It's a it's a moral parable about the dangers of kinking too hard. Much like Utena, uh, halfway through it became clear this wasn't a story about what I thought it was about, and <laughs> is about fairy tales instead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think. I mean, do you if you consider the Iliad to be a fairy tale, then probably. Uh, uh the. Mycroft has been trying to sell us on an important personal relationship between Jed and Utopia. Uh, and it turns out this is simply not true. Uh, oh, sorry. Just a, a brief thing, because I'm probably going to forget it, and the Iliad came up. In the Odyssey, uh, I swear to God, there's Johnny, a sequence of events- If you're about to say something that didn't happen, I will lose my mind. <laughs> I checked my citations on this one. Um, so there's a, there's a point where Mycroft in this chapter is talking about, you know, uh, wouldn't it be so much easier if we didn't have to go to space, right? Um, and he says, I could rest, set down my oar at last. And this, I am convinced, has to be some kind of reference to the parable of the widowing oar, which is in the Odyssey. Um. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. Did we talk about that? Not me and you, but like, it, it came up during the Odyssey chapter. Hmm. Okay. A lot came yeah, up during I, the Odyssey I just, chapter. I just heard that and I was like, aha, the poorly remembered series of or related events that's been mentioned many times. Hey, when are we doing the Odyssey, by the way, as an Odyssey I, bonus episode? I don't know. Okay. We'll see. Can I suggest that when you do it, you call the episode the found books of the Odyssey? <laughs> yes, that uh, we will do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Zenyatian uh, does not actually have any special super love for the Utopians. Um, Zenyatian just likes Mycroft, and so and no, Huxley. He likes the Utopians. He he doesn't like, like no. their pain branch, but like he likes the Utopians fine. Clearly, yeah, like fine, but not like more than the Gordians. Yeah, he he's. It has become clear that he will choose the Gordians. Unless Mycroft persuades him otherwise. The thing he was hired by Mason and Achilles to do. Mm-hmm. They do sure seem like the more utilitarian he path. They do. They really do. Well, maybe you're not taking a long enough term view here. I don't know. Well, but the Gordon... Like, I would be more inclined towards the utopian argument if we didn't see set sets. Because set sets are surely a strong indicator that doing brain science can allow you to have magic powers. But the power to escape an exploding sun? But, like, when it becomes so necessary, much time to figure out how to do that. You just fucking do it, man. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> Truth. If Gordian makes us all geniuses, uh, we can just, you know, do something about it when it comes time. We are There's deeply so fragile and concentrated. We need to put all of our eggs in more than one basket. Uh, and if that means destroying Brill's Institute, that means destroying Brill's Institute. Although, do I still have the faith I had in the Utopians and their ability to do that? No. Um, I'm troubled by Utopia's poor showing at running a war. They had the same it's- head start. They both had it's, people it, on the inside of the Mardi Bash, and this is their showing. 
it's interesting that like the you know we often in this series see like failures of governmental systems right we see like oh yeah the masonic hive can run into massive problems if the emperor names a weird successor or the cousins can run into problems if their government works the way that they designed it to <laughs> and the humanists can run into problems if they uh you know have a, a super charismatic guy who just takes over and there's nothing that can oust him. The Utopians also have a problem, and it's that their government is so obscured that nobody can tell what it's going to do before it does that thing. Apparently even them, because they're, they had one plan and then suddenly switched. And so all their preparations were presumably for the moon plan, but now they're underprepared because they didn't do that. Uh, no. It's not Huxley, but it's one of the other Utopians, tells us that there is a plan for the war and that Mycroft only knows parts of it. Mm-hmm. And it is, I, think. I had been under the impression that we were seeing it, and so I wasn't that worried about Utopia, except in that I thought their plan was to be destroyed. Um, <laughs> but actually, it's appearing that they don't have a plan are just kind of hoping for the best and hiding behind Mason's legs. Uh, and that's it. And I mean, all of this them getting fair, destroyed stuff, not part of a master plan, just happening to them. I mean, to be fair, we have all the best military technology and thus we'll just hang out and play defense and eventually the war will go away is both not a terrible plan and the plan of Troy. So it's like, that's how that's how they got there. Did Troy have a technical edge in the war? It had walls. They were oh, the, oh, the best technology off. for ancient defense. <laughs> the the Achaeans had walls in front of their boats. <laughs> Look, Troy had better walls. This is what Troy had. That's true. Is they had the best they walls. They did have walls built by gods. They um, had better walls. Nineveh but, keeps showing up as a reference, so I think Jonah's going to become really important, I think. Which is, by hey, the, to remind everybody, the most bizarre, one of the most bizarre prophets in the Bible. Uh, also, yeah? hmm. Achilles is stuck in space. That's mm-hmm. not great. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you had a further thought on that. Yeah, uh, in chapter 17, he mentions he has one reentry pack. Mm-hmm. It's not... They could make more, I think. The problem they list here is that he won't be able to get up again. And... So he's being... He's has... He has to stay there because they're holding the moon hostage. Uh, <laughs> and also, he has personally been at all of the fighting. And hey, as soon as there was fighting he wasn't at, stuff went much worse. Yeah, it turns out yeah. Achilles was good at preventing massacres, and as soon as he wasn't there... Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that 9A has such terrible logic for why they do the things they're doing, and yet keeps being occasionally proved right. Because 9A in chapter 17 was like, oh yeah, I'm serving a neutral humanitarian effort because the Masons are just so good at war fighting that Achilles is fundamentally like promoting the peace. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that was true. that's a fucking bullshit argument, but it apparently is true. <laughs> I don't know what part of that you didn't like. Didn't you read the Mason section of that <laughs> sentence? um yeah it it is uh it turns out achilles was like preventing them from like overreaching 
Um, and like they did a massacre now. Uh, of the cousins, though, so. Of the cousins. Still bad. It's No, I'm not saying it isn't bad. Um, but they did You're just some saying stuff. it's justified. <laughs> I'm not saying it wasn't bad, but you know, maybe they had it coming. It's possible to have some things coming. Uh, The the UN has shown up at their door because of the crimes that they did. (laughs) I mean, not that, like, you know, we can be against retributive justice and still say that, like, yeah, they probably had it coming. (laughs) The retributive is not the, the, the most important thing here, so much as the collective punishment that's happening. That's also true, but clearly the Masons are in favor of that. You know, I wonder if I, I think the most surprising thing in this entire chapter is that the Utopians were actually the victims of 37 different setups in a row. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, that's why the Gordian propaganda is so good. At a certain point, you reach a saturation point. Where it's just like, no way did they get framed 12 times for different things. At a certain point, it's just impossible. But like, this is why it works. They didn't get, they got, they got framed for like three or four things. We just learned a bunch of other bad, like bad implications about Utopia. People didn't want to believe. They were learned later were true. Um, so like part a significant part of the Golden propaganda is simply telling everybody what <coughs> Utopia is up to and sounds evil because you know making yeah. pages into like weird phoenix bombs sounds like a bad thing to do. Oh my god! Do not get back on that. What? He's talking about the thing with the fucking phoenix, where it's oh. like, oh yeah, it's a weapon of war. Oh, phoenix. People were- okay. Phoenix. People were killing phoenixes in the street, and it was implied to be... They were killing pigeons! Pigeons, pigeons in the street, and it was implied to be unusual or bizarre behavior. Uh, it's unreasonable, but in fact, totally reasonable. Well, <laughs> Birds yeah. are indeed sometimes fake. As we discussed day of, um, and now that there's no one here to spread misinformation, pigeons live in cities, and cities are gross. So they're all covered <laughs> in city gunk. <laughs> what an incredible item reasoning. Okay. Um But yeah, oh, no, so Utopia uh, was framed for an absurd number of, of things. In addition to just the bad yeah. stuff Utopia was doing. Uh mm. it's again, if any character up to and including Felix Faust had shown up and said, <laughs> actually, Utopia didn't do that stuff. Brill did that as a scheme. <laughs> I wouldn't take it seriously for a second. Mm-hmm. I'd say they're just trying to claim credit for something cool because they want to be, <laughs> they want to seem like they're having an impact. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, it's Jehovah saying it. I also, I I love. Uh, there's a bunch of things that I took notes on earlier. Because I already thought that Brill was, like, you know, evil. Or not evil, but, like, much more effective and doing secret shenanigans, uh, like, before I got to this chapter. Um, and there's there's a bunch of stuff in earlier chapters that when you look back on it is like, oh yeah, surrendering the Cadian Hill. The way that they surrender the Cadian Hill 
always incites more conflict because they're always surrendering to whoever is thinking about backing down and saying like, oh yeah, you can have us. You have a foothold. That is true. Um, oh wow. You have to reread four. <laughs> You're gonna reread four. We argued recently about how you want to take 17 different 20 minute chunks to reread four. That's not what I want to do. <laughs> Want to maybe go to sleep at some point. Um, Get up early. I got up early. This is perhaps a longer book than the the books you read. I know. That's why I made sure to negotiate when I read three books in a single setting. uh, That you would do the last one. (laughs) I thought ahead way back in mid-Seven Surrenders. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, what else have we got? The internment camps. Uh, Oh, yeah. So, the cousins have a patronizing belief that people shouldn't be allowed to make choices on their own and must be guided or restricted towards peacefulness. Unlike the Utopians. Which is a shame, because it means they would have made great friends with the Utopians if they had the chance. (laughs) Yeah. They, uh, tried, were trying to reduce custody counts. I think the cousins did a good job, all things considered. Um, well, probably. And I think then they the would have done a good it. job, but they didn't have sufficient, like, security. So instead of doing a good job, they also kidnapped a bunch of world leaders at the start of a war. Yeah, that's probably not great. Yeah. Uh, but maybe it was. Maybe the Gordians are also helping preserve the peace somehow. I Look, think the Gordians are trying to, like... It's clear is like the, the Gordians care about like the, the aesthetic principles of the war, and by emphasizing distance and being cut off from other people, they're trying to like show Jed, hey, this is a really bad space. Going to space is bad, which is which is really fun because earlier in the series, Jed was like, oh yeah, this war is to teach me something because God's trying to teach me something. <laughs> Uh, true. And everyone was like, that's bullshit. And then it turns out, maybe not God, but probably Brill is using the entire war as a teaching and tool. And Jed does credit people's actions to God. So I should have like seen that maybe that coming. Um. <laughs> I do like that the sequestration camps, Mycroft uses similar language to when he talks about doing good things for red crystal back in chapter 11 Mm -hmm. so by doing that he makes an analogy between sequestration camps and the island of the lotus eaters except you know both then and now just do the red crystal stuff just farm it's better (laughs) i'm not saying it's bad I'm just saying that that's a a very mycroft likes wars thing to say do you think this was achilles fault what was because he told the cousins, hey, you need, not only do you need food, you need more food than you can even imagine you'd need. Do you think he gave the cousins <laughs> the idea to like, oh, pff, more food? Okay, so we kidnap people and set them up as farmers, right? <laughs> During the war. To be fair, the plan seems to be working out really well. Because we haven't heard about people starving that much. And normally you'd expect that. There was a mention of, like, one farm going down. But they, then, because Hollow said, oh, it's fine. We can, uh, it's fine that the biggest food source in the city uh, went down. We can make it up. <laughs> that was a weird thing to say on reflection. Um, I hope, because you, you've, you've heard about, there were, we had an argument at one point about, like, 
Oh yeah, Romanova the city doesn't necessarily, like, take up the whole island. So I hope, like, just, you know, 30 feet outside the borders of the city, there's a fucking sequestration camp <laughs> that's providing them food. It's over no one, one like, hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, over the Cousin Hill. If you're standing on the Cousin Hill, you can see the sequestration <laughs> camp. But they just don't, they just tell people, oh yeah, those are our, those are the cousins, you know. We're doing that. It's just a farming commune. Those are our guys. <laughs> the cousins are not having an existential war, uh, which is fun. Um, the cousins in the, in the sense won't that exist maybe at the end of it? the uh, war. Hmm. It's a shame. There. If anyone was gonna get existentialed by this war, surely it should be the humanists who like completely fucking failed to make any promises that they would change anything about being the source of conflict. Uh, they didn't piss off the UN and Mason. That's true. Or, they did, they didn't while, like, being closely allied to them and being their <coughs> neighbors. You know, I actually think there's a solid case to be made that as soon as Mason finds out that actually the cousins maybe weren't at fault, uh, and instead Faust tricked them into it, I guess, uh, he will immediately turn the entire Masonic war machine upon Brill instead. Uh, I think it's a pretty good chance. And I also think Yuan will be really pissed about that. I think it's really funny. I think, I, I think there is a question of culpability, though. Um, like, you know, if, if someone was influenced by propaganda to do a thing, does that make them innocent of that thing? Maybe in the case of what Brill's been doing, there's a mix of, like, oh, no, actually the person who did that thing was a Brillist agent and wasn't really a member of this organization. But then there's also, oh, this person is, uh, it was just influenced. And if uh, insofar as influence, I think Mason, at least, would still see them as cold. I think it's suggested that Definitely there was Brill influence stuff, because, like, that's what he's up to. But also, literally Brillists hit the button to fire the nukes into space. Yeah. Hmm. They did do other things, too, though, right? Like, they attacked a bunch of people. They attacked a bunch of Utopians, I think. What? Well, because they, like, took down a bunch of Earth sites, didn't they? Like, places that where things could have been fired from Earth to intercept things. Didn't they, like, attack all those places? I don't think we got an indication so that of they, that. that. no one would No, they hit them in the air. Yeah. Oh, okay. They good to keep the planet nice and pretty, because that's what they're gonna have their utopia. What a fun tentist to say. <laughs> I guess. Do you think anybody else is gonna use Harbringers? Do you think the Emperor's gonna use the Harbringers? He already has. Which oh, the Gundam. Yeah. Uh, the Gundam. Uh, beyond to be the fair, Gundam. though, that wasn't his Gundam. Because he he didn't, like... do authorize the production of Harbringers on a, on a more massive scale. If he gets a Gundam, I bet he starts making Gundams. Okay. So, yes. I mean, l like, the entire world sort of agreed that anything should be done to stop the Mars strike, right? So, I, I feel like you can't necessarily claim that as a wartime action. Um... Uh, uh, like a wartime use of harbinger like it happened during the war but it wasn't really for military purposes it was for like humanitarian aid sure but he did it sure it, it is like I bet a, a weapons again. platform it is a weapon platform and try to uh, dispatch 
does in fact bench weapons platforms. Yeah, space. which is a shame because it means we can't use nuclear rockets, the most powerful kind of rockets. <laughs> People tried. Um, I will be both unsurprised and unconcerned when Mason uses harbingers. what if he uses them for a bad reason then Then we'll have to reevaluate but i expect mason would only use them for good reasons okay Hmm. um oh another thing interesting here we learned the brillist motto profundum et fundamentum the boundless deep and foundation implied to be the mind what is the utopian motto again uh it's Astro like forward per, to as the per, mod, uh, fucking Christ. Adam Watamquay. So it's like defeating death and the stars slowly or something like that, or incrementally? Goditum is supposed to be also in there, too. Um, yeah. Astra. Uh, Ad Astra Mot. Uh, fucking Christ. I remember. Hey, so the Latin doesn't matter that much, but the words it means maybe you could tell us about. <laughs> yeah. uh, beyond death in the stars gradually because hmm. I was trying to think if there was any parallel there between the two of them since now since they're like having this whole conflict if there was anything obvious that was like uh, but it's no it's pretty clear I don't think that like whatever any... the Guardians did they fully took off their, their breaks and went exponential during those like 20 years well they have to uh, like yeah I guess if you're the car thing, if they just manipulated somebody to make sure that the cars are somehow jamming all communications, um, then I don't think that leaves much to explain as far as weird technological growth. Uh, yes, it does. The UFOs. What UFOs? It's not just the cars that are shooting things down, because eventually people could launch enough shit to like take down a significant portion of the cars flying around. Uh-huh. But there are also these slim, like, UFOs that are also flying around that are slim and can hit things easier. The factory Interesting, but I don't know if that inherently is something that I would say is like, you know, requires a giant technological advancement to be able to do if you already have the Mukta. Hmm. It's just a different design for an airship. There's Perry's weird watercraft, which I bet is a Gordian thing. <laughs> I okay. I don't even remember. Oh, right, right. The thing that the Nautilus was fighting. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Are we? Let me check. Let's see. So Jed basically says that he didn't tell anyone about this Brillis thing sooner because he's like become partisan. Like because he was only around the Masons, he assumed the Masons were good and didn't want to tell anybody. Uh, anything, uh, like, because he was unsure of himself. But Mycroft Uh, then attributes it to no translators were around who could possibly interpret Jed's statements on this matter. And I just cannot buy that. What are you talking about? Because, like, what do you mean, what am I talking about? I don't remember that happening. Like, I, the initial bit. Jed, Jed initially talks about how, like, Oh, 
because I've been here in this captivity, I've had a limited perspective, which is one of the lessons I've learned from this war is what it's like to have a limited perspective. But just because I'm only here and only know what's going on here, that doesn't mean that the perspectives of others, such as Brill or like Faust, he says his uncle, uh, are less legitimate. Um, and then he goes into a whole thing. And later, Mycroft says, uh, oh, he must have been trying to tell us this for ages, but no one could understand because it's so complicated and no one else is a good enough translator. And I've failed everyone by not translating good enough and quickly enough. And I, I just don't buy that. Because uh, Jed has Jed, not said anything. Well, before. I think it's pretty clear that like Jed, Jed does not like Phoebe's as like a, as a really big revelation he's just like just talking about like what happened recently and like there are lots mm -hmm. of times where like if you talked to jed about what happened yesterday what happened yesterday would be a basketball action and jed would probably mention that it was the guardians hmm. yeah jehovah wasn't trying to like the problem kind of was he didn't have a good translator because no one bothered to ask him apparently this whole time if he knows who's doing the war the stuff about how he's blind to my perspective He's just talking about how all the people he likes have one perspective, but there's also this other side of a war that thinks a different thing. I think your whole read of this is flawed. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Weird. That that was what I thought is that this was just another case of Mycroft like blaming himself, but in this case for something that could not even plausibly be his fault. Uh, but okay, that is also a legit read. Um, okay, do you want to talk about Skyvola? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's. Yeah, so during an interaction between um, uh, Eureka and 9A, um, Minecraft drops into dialogue mode. And he calls Eureka Eureka and calls 9A Skyvola, which is weird. He doesn't explain what Skyvola is, but I know who Skyvola is. Uh, hey, is Skyvola. that what's happening? What? Is. Is that 9A? I thought that was a mason who was literally there. And I thought it was a weird name for the Sky Maw, just translated into some other thing. Also, not that. Um, okay, not Sky Maw. That, that one's silly. I'm pretty <laughs> sure Skylova is a mason, <laughs> not 9A, who is in the room with Eureka. Um, no, because that's... Um... I'm on the page. Yeah. Um, missions. And in fact, 9A is running to the control room to meet with Su Hyun while this conversation is happening. Skalova is a character. 317, uh, two weeks before the attack on the Almagest, it was the censor who muttered this, watching from the console where an empty seat waited for my straying successor. Man, I guess, yeah, there's another... There's somebody who's called Skyvola. Um, what do you want to say about the name Skyvola? So Skyvola means left-handed. Yeah, they're uh, the coolest person in history. They're not. What? What is their deal? What do you, do you mean they're not? Guy? They're not. Clearly. I could list like ten people who are cooler right now. Alright. Alright, what? Go ahead. Do it. Emma Goldman. Um, Brutus. Um, these are all just going to be people who assassinated politically. <laughs> that's that's what the mistake. I want to see if he can get to ten. Let's go. That's two people. 
Juan Carlos. <laughs> King Carlos the first. Uh-huh. Who's that lady who was so good at being no a helping. pirate that That's they had great. to make her a, a lord? <laughs> um, that cool pirate guy, uh, who I forget nope. the name of, who said, okay, um, ba 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 Oh, we just, I'm not talking about morally good people, um, but you know, Robespierre, mm-hmm. um, Napoleon, um, not Napoleon. We're on five? Four. I'm not giving that cool pirate guy, no. No credit. <laughs> None points. Okay. <laughs> Fairly reasonable. Um, John Brown. Um, Has a good song, too. Yeah. That's five. You're halfway Louverture there. Toussaint. Uh, Toussaint Louverture. Uh, six. Six. I know. Surely you can think of three more revolutionaries. <laughs> Not all these are revolutionaries. Yeah, but, you know. I bet you think revolutionaries are Not cool, always. So. Um. Oh, fucking, I'm an idiot. Um, Euler. Um, the math yes. guy? Um, he was cool? Yes, of course. Um, fuck me. Grothendieck. Um, Hilbert. Um, One more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silas McLean. Okay. So here's the deal with Scavola. Um, and I'm going to have to paraphrase this somewhat. Because it is a, a story that I was told, actually, by listeners to this podcast uh, early on. Although I think before Book 4 was released, so credit to them. Um, and I will contend that this is, in fact, a better story than at least several of the people you eventually managed to name. <laughs> so Rome's at war, right? Somebody is doing a siege on Rome. Uh, and then... Everyone decides the best solution is to go and kill that guy who's doing a siege. Very direct. Scavola, first person to volunteer. So he runs out, finds the guy who he's trying to assassinate, and stabs him in the neck or whatever. But then, whoops, it was someone else who, I want to say, was wearing the correct person's clothes for some reason. Um, I think he was just standing next to him, and they were both, like, doing... um... They like start handing out the, the, the wages for that like week or something, and they're both next to each other and they like, stab one of the two important people, and he's just the wrong guy. Wrong guy. It happens to the best of us. So he gets captured, uh, and he gives a speech where he says, and again, I'm sorry, because I'm going to have to paraphrase, but I think it went, um, I am the first of a thousand people who are going to come and attempt to assassinate you every single day (laughs) until you are dead. Uh, You think you can punish me? Uh, Watch as I show what the mere body means to those who have glory on their side. And he throws his hand into a fire and lets it burn without so much as flinching. Uh, And then the guy (laughs) he was there to assassinate went... Uh, okay, and lets him go. Because how do you not let that guy go, right? Um, and all of that uh, the gods, is spectacular. The gods have ruled him to be based. We can't kill him. Do you object to any of my characterization of this figure? No. 
I think, you know, if I were naming cool people, I probably would have used a few less mathematicians and probably would have given a slot to Jack Churchill. Fucking me, I even forgot the polio guy. And I forgot Pasteur. Christ. I'm going okay, to EA look, hell. What is um, your standard for being cool? Because I feel like you said it wasn't about being morally good or bad, but I feel like that's a lot of what you're doing. Pasteur was just a cool guy. He had lots of cool discoveries. Well, okay. Uh, there was only one other thing I wanted to talk about, um, which is a line at one point in the chapter. Jehovah's presence makes it easy, possible, to pour the whole truth out instead of those ration doses we allow ourselves in daily life, greeting our dearest with abbreviations like good morning, when the true thought in our breast is every day you step into my life, you make it brighter, and if you left the world something... And if you left the world, something in me would starve forever, as when some barrier rises to shade a plant, which still has light enough to grow some, but will never again taste the unbroken sun. What is it in society that makes us veil such love behind good morning? And my question for Liam is, is that a good uh, paragraph? And also, is it poetry? I don't think it's a great paragraph. I have never thought that when I was saying good morning to someone. Um... Hmm. I really like that paragraph. I think that sets a... See, I'll say good morning to people I don't like, though. Do you, and I, surely everyone has done that. I don't, I don't think every good morning means that. Look, there's, a, there's a, a brief treatise on this at the start of an excellent uh, text called The Hobbit, uh, which shows that there are multiple things that a person can mean by good morning. Um, uh... And not all of them are super serious, but sometimes they are. I don't think it's sometimes poetry. Good, sometimes good morning means I hate you. Yeah, sometimes it means it will not be a good morning until you have gone. Mm. Or please stop chewing with your mouth open, so that the urge to stab you might subside. Or that... I was hoping someone would pick up on the bit and also pick one of the things that Gandalf says you might mean by good morning. Fully, I read The Hobbit as far as long as I, the last time that, you know, Liam read uh, the Iliad before, you know, this time, most recent time. So I, I have an audiobook version of The Hobbit and I've listened to it a lot of times. It's weird so I, to I remember a lot of suddenly know you've read a text but not be able to recall the details, isn't it? That's been my life, man. Uh, I've read a lot of books. I don't remember most of them. Um, I'd never gotten Tolkien. I mean, neither did I. I've only read The Hobbit, but I've read it a lot of I've times. I've read The Hobbit once. I've read The Lord of the Rings once. I've read The Silmarillion once. Deeply forgettable. All of them. Ha! That's, That's not true. I, the, there so there's a there's an initial bit in the... Um, in the not the Hobbit, but the um, first book of Lord of the Rings, which is very funny because it takes them fully like eighty years to get out, get out of where the hobbits live. It's very funny on reflection. At the years? time, I fucking hated it. It's it's incredible how boring. That oh, section oh, is. do you mean like it takes a very long time for the the text to get through it, or that it, it takes the character? No, I think the characters wait eighty years. <laughs> 80 years it's very funny Why? because like stuff was going on you know they weren't in a hurry but is this the first you're hearing of this it's... there is a huge gap when Gandalf is off like just reading about what the ring is yeah 
But like, do you, is this the gap between the end of the Hobbit and the beginning no, of the Lord of the Rings? The, no, the Lord of the Rings starts. Gandalf gives gives Frodo the ring, and then it spends another eighty years before Gandalf, before anything else happens. But at the end of the Hobbit, he has the ring no, anyway. Why was Bilbo Gandalf had giving the it ring. to him? Bilbo and Frodo are different son. people. But Bo- Bilbo is Fro- sorry. Frodo is Bilbo's son. No, he isn't. Why does no. Gandalf have to give it to him? Frodo is Bilbo's nephew. Damn it! This is what I get for not having read these books. In the Lord of the Rings, Bilbo gives Frodo the ring. Gandalf sees it and is like, "That's weird." And then he just leaves for a long time, and then comes back, and the adventure begins. Yeah. Hmm. Because to his credit, like, it was just a ring. Why would he know all the specifics so, of that one exact ring? Eh. Yeah. So actually, I, I've read a bit about what the lore for, for that universe is. I don't know the main events of the plot, but I do know a fair bit about the backstory. And he actually maybe should have, like notice that that was a problem because it has like a massive psychic beacon in it that lets Sauron know where it is and also allows That's him to only if you have one of the other rings okay may, I may have true. oversold how forgettable it was but <laughs> Gandalf uh, the whole... can't be expected to spend his entire life freaking out every time he sees anyone with a ring right? They're common <laughs> it jewelry. It turns out that it's it turns out that it's best that the one ring... Okay, so he, did he just not recognize that it was that... Did he not, like, look at it? It's not obvious what kind of ring it is. Unless he, he looked like, at it and it was on. like, Hey, that's a weird you ring. look at the inscription. Uh, I should go... I remember something about a ring like that from somewhere. Let me, let me go check my notes. And then he leaves. This... The state of the world in Lord of the Rings is very dependent on not that ring, but several other rings that were created with that ring. And also, it should be common knowledge what the primary visible effect of the ring is, which is that it turns you invisible, and Gandalf knows about that from The Hobbit. But Frodo doesn't put on the ring in front of Gandalf. No, but if it's the same ring, and it's the... and. Gandalf had that adventure with Bilbo, he should probably be able to know that it was a magic ring and it was that magic ring. I don't know, man. Maybe there's other rings of invisibility. Other non-world-ending magic rings. You're asking a lot from Gandalf, who had stuff on his plate. It's deeply unclear, like... Gandalf is a goddamn magic god-angel. I do expect high standards from Gandalf. He didn't know he was in a book called The Lord of the Rings. He was just living his life... Without any ring-based title clues. (laughs) Okay, yes, but there aren't that many magic rings, and all of the important ones we see are really important. Are there not? Do we know this not? There's about 20, if I remember right. There's 24 Sauron made a small number of magic rings. You're making the further nonsense claim that Sauron is the only source of magic rings in the universe. Well, when he made the magic rings, he couldn't even do it alone. He had to get another angel to help him do it. So it seems like they are probably... Maybe they're less powerful rings. Am I thinking about that? Okay, maybe there are less powerful rings. Maybe, but... 
given that you know that this ring causes invisibility, that the that the ring of power causes invisibility, it seems like a reasonable step to take that if someone is like, oh yeah, I found this ring on the a weird guy who had been corrupted by it, namely Gollum, and he, That's right, and now whenever I put on the ring, I become invisible, it seems like it would be a reasonable step to take for a magic guy to just be like, oh yeah, I should check and make sure that's okay. not the ring of power by doing a thing that you can do in Listen, five Listen, I've minutes. got to pull us off of like two Lord, two rings and get back to the show. <laughs> um, I thought that was going to be the end rant. <laughs> no. Is it? Do we have any further notes? Yes. I don't have any. That's oh. what I thought. Skyvola, Skyvola, um does show is the person who you said uh and but like i don't think that's why he's here skyvola also shows up um in uh Piricio as one of two yeah. examples of people with perfect will um uh in a text that seems to be trying to blame all humanity for the reason why they're in hell which hmm. you know is bullshit it, well um, except for well you know let's Let's examine that claim. Um, it is their fault. Not if we live in a deterministic universe, sure. Uh, but moreover, God could just choose to have them not be in hell for lying one time. Um, then it would no longer be for... a meaningful choice to follow his, you know, plan. Sure. Anyway. Look, the, the all-knowing <laughs> creator of the universe seems to think hell is important. Perhaps without some evil in the world, we could not have as good a world as we have. Maybe Pangloss was right, you know? Have we considered that? Maybe Pangloss, maybe Pangloss was right, that's where we're going with this? I think he makes some compelling points about uh, <laughs> what must be true if God is true. And since Jehovah's hanging around, I guess, where are we left? Do we think do we think this universe has a god at this point and do we think it's Ada yes. Palmer? And if we don't think it's Ada Palmer, what do we think it is? It is Ada Palmer. There is a god. Maybe a more figurative uh, author. Yeah, but like um but also the fact Jehovah exists and disagrees with God throws a wrench into the the, the system you're trying to bring up here, build up here. How so? Well, if gods disagree, that means you can't, like, just say, well, God said it, so it must be true. Well, in this universe, I can. In the meta-universe, wherein both gods exist, uh, then sure. But Jehovah is specifically within one god's creation, and their rules fly. But Jehovah, after right after he died, said, like, Oh yeah, so after I died, some things became more clear to me, and I realized that I needed to make some changes to my own universe, which implies that gods can be wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, Your Jehovah could be wrong. That... <laughs> and when he made the changes, true, but... he was once again still correct. Look, this isn't complicated. Hmm. I think your your argument here requires you to accept that, like, logical impossibilities can happen as long as you say the word God in the same sentence. Yeah. Wh okay. You said that like you expected me not to go along with it. I d have you not been here? That's how the word God so, works. That's what it's for. So anyway, we're, we're going to have a whole rant about um, the scholastics. I just feel it in my bones. Um... 
Let's look at my notes. Let's see here. Uh, I only note on the thing where Mason like had a whole list of things about like you know all the promises he broke. Mason really wants the UN by his side. Why is that? They're good at having wars. That would be one reason. That's one. Uh, you know what's interesting is everyone in book three was like, oh, we need to take advantage of this one unique resource of the one man in the world who has experience with warfare. <laughs> and not one of them thought, I'll go to the <laughs> Let me just ask. And ask what I should do. <laughs> That's true. That's very, very funny. funny. Yeah. Um... <laughs> No wonder the UN feels disrespected. <laughs> now, to the credit of the characters in the plot, it's not just that Achilles knows how wars work, it's also that he knows how a future times war would work, and it sounds yeah. like the UN is not given the technology that the Alliance has. Sure, but still. <laughs> uh, why do I think Mason wants to be on the side of the Alliance? Um, I kind of believe him that he just thinks they're doing a good thing and he wants to be part of it. He just believes in the principle of sovereign just action. believes so hard. Um, we get a discussion as of the comparative blames of the cousins and the um, utopians and it's surprising to me that Michael doesn't make a point about the infantilization of women. Um, because the cousins had said, like, we're going to take your toy away, the toy of, you know, sovereignty, um, as opposed to, like, lots of other things you could try, um, whereas the utopians are, you know, viewed with genocidal rage. It's fun. Um, both not good things. I don't know. Maybe if you are using your toy of sovereignty to uh, enact your genocidal rage against <laughs> somebody, then you should have it taken away. Um... But the, they're not really approaching the, even before, like the Gordian thing. They're not really approaching it. It's just necessarily approaching it with like um, giving them any moral credit for what they did or moral responsibility for what they did. So it's a kind of infantilization. Well, it is like interesting. Like during the trial, there was a lot of argument we had about like, are the cousins? How do we hold the cousins responsible? And who amongst the cousins do we hold responsible? And can you? hold the cousin group responsible because it's like it's very easy to join or leave a hive and that kind of makes it more difficult to determine like okay if any member of a hive commits a crime do you hold the whole hive responsible and if so how do you square that with things because if people join the cousins just to be nurturists but not for any other reason then that maybe would imply that that's like a separate thing from their other goals. And I don't know. I don't think there's a clear answer. Constancy of the world. Um, I was right about my um, being all head up about my, about the midway example. Uh, I think Jehovah sort of views uh, Utopia's path as necessarily warlike um, and like really bad and really morally questionable. Uh, like Midway Island. That's why he included that there. Maybe. If you would like to have those words included in the podcast, I won't stop you, but 
this is the most that I would like to address them. <laughs> Incredible. And then the la- this is a great last line. Um, where, like, Jehovah is sad that he helped. Yeah, Mycroft says, I think, Jethead, that you might have helped this war effort more than anyone else has ever helped any war effort in history. And he's like, oh, well, I kind of wish I had helped a peace effort of some kind. <laughs> Very funny. Mycroft has a surprisingly um, bad read on Jehovah, given his circumstances. Jehovah, well, I think it's like about the piety yeah. thing Mycroft Mar- Mar- likes to go on about, where, like, um, a Jehovah, sorry, that, uh, whereas, sorry, where Mycroft really wants Jehovah to view th- things certain ways, because he thinks it's the best way to view it, and therefore God must agree with him, and so really want to confront the idea that God disagrees with him, especially because, like, you know, it's your God. Mm-hmm. Which puts, um, you know, the other god in an odd position. I've been trying to to alternate my names with Jehovah as every time I use them. Yeah, I've noticed it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's very confusing to anyone who's not up on all his names. It's very fun to me. You should have just picked one and stuck with it. No. No. See, that's the trouble, is I try to do that, but I think I do alternate between Jehovah and Jed, just because I forget. I think it's important to recognize Tycoon's closeness to uh to power, and to recognize Jehovah's... Look, if you were impo- doing it contextually, based on which thing you're trying to associate him with, then I could I buy do. it. But doing it at random... I don't do it at random. Anyway, any more notes? No. It's never clear to me how powerful... Like, they need to care a lot about the One Ring, uh-huh. but you only can be invisible with it, so what are you supposed to so, do? So, here's the deal. Here's the deal with I the One Ring, right? I don't trust you. Sauron... I don't trust your opinions about this book series. Fine, Is it because he was wrong about it four times in a row, like ten seconds ago? He made yeah. the 